Uh, is this thing on? Can you hear me? Welcome to the Gravity Lift Podcast, a mostly entertaining and at times informative place where we get to chat about all the things we love. Music and festival life, yoga and wellness, travel and adventure. We are your hosts, Jordan and Antonella. How was that conversation for you? It was pretty awesome. We got to touch on a lot of uh, good topics that didn't feel just like stuff that I could just blurt out information that I knew about. It felt like really digging deeper into topics that might not be so easy to talk about. Yeah, and I love the way it began with something as simple as creating exercise habits and a workout routine and then evolve to things like psychedelics and relationships um, that have been challenging and the way that we evolve as people. I, I think it was uh, impressive how deep and it ran and how long. It, this was a lengthy one, over two hours, but totally worth digging into. Yeah, it, it's kind of the reason we do this podcast, that ability to dig deeper into things. I can hit some high-level topics in an hour, but once you start hitting that hour-and-a-half, two-hour mark, things start to get a little bit juicier and you start to really break down these barriers and you get to put those things that you've said into practice Mm -hmm. and you get to really implement them into those different areas rather than just being like, oh yeah, I know what I'm doing. I've got it all figured out. I've got this podcast thing. Yeah. And that's why I told you today I was looking forward to this conversation because we've met Connor now a couple of times. First, we were introduced to him via social media. We listened to his podcast a little bit. We got to hang out with him socially pretty briefly. But uh, for me, that's just hard for me to find connection. And that's why I love this space that you've created and the the ability to bring somebody in and, and, and get to know them on a really rich level. And I felt like I'd take a bite into a big chocolatey piece of cake. Yeah, even though I might not have necessarily felt like I could connect from the the workout side of things I definitely have that connection given that he worked for on it for a little while like I have a pretty large appreciation for what that company is um, and he definitely is doing the podcast thing he's got some things in line that seemed very in line with kind of what I wanted at one point in life so it was really cool to break down those pieces and learn the the other side of things and have those conversations about how it's, you know, we always say it anyway, but how Instagram and Facebook isn't really how life is. It's Mm -hmm. putting your best foot forward. Um, But yeah, and I love this space as well. We do have a little bit of challenges with some uh, (laughs) movement happening outside with large equipment. And so in the middle of the podcast, we had to take a little uh, 15 minute hiatus to allow some things to end. But it didn't even break our vibe. I love it. Yeah. Like, I mean, it may have broken your vibe for a second. Listeners know at one point that we're going to have to, (laughs) we're going to have to do a little bit of fancy editing to bring the two of them together. So there might be a little slip around the hour mark of content that you're like, oh, they're talking about the same thing. Mm -hmm. it didn't quite flow perfectly um but yeah we we hopped right back in where we left back in it it was super easy and connor was fantastic to talk to Mm -hmm. i feel like we definitely could have sat here for longer but we kind of say that with everyone yeah and then we turn off the mic and we always end up talking Mm -hmm. for another hour with whoever we've got until my stomach is grumbling or the dog is like whining to go yeah nice all right well without further ado here's connor 
Um, do you, are you all explicit? Can you? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I actually, well, on iTunes, I definitely like clipped the clean lyrics thing. And you then did? Now, yeah. Not like originally when we put it up and then now I'm like, oh, Our wait. first episode was us smoking bowls and talking about weed. Why did you ever think that we were going to be clean? It was just like initially as I was going through it and then I'm like, oh, shit. So yeah, I got to look back up and see he if I can He was raised like, a good little really Christian quick. boy. So his brain <laughs> just are? automatically reverted to yeah. that. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's like, like, of course it's clean. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Remember the first like, first uh, MA? Was it MA? Is that what it was? Or was it explicit on CDs? Yeah, I thought it was explicit. I think it's explicit and then video games are immature. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, was Green Day Dookie? I got it when I was 13, oh, my 13th that's... birthday. And I got that shit taken away the day after my birthday. <laughs> Yoink. <laughs> I was jamming my room. They're like, what the fuck are they talking about in there? Yeah. It, it didn't work though. Dude, my parents tried to take my first CD away. God, we should just be recording. But my parents took my first CD away. Are you not Eiffel recording? 65. I am, but okay, we haven't done our intro and whatnot yet. Because uh, <laughs> it, uh, it was Eiffel 65, and um, the song, I think the lyrics are like, living in a bubble, baby, the bubble's not reality. It's just inside your mind. And my mom that it said, thought it said Bible. It was like, the Bible's not reality. It's just inside your mind. And it was like, you can't be listening to this. And I was like, ah, oh, shit, really? <laughs> Trying to take this away from me? You don't even know the lyrics? Well, and it's not even out of all the things you could have been listening to at that age. Yeah. Like, really? It's so like that Euro seems, pop. That seems like a poem almost. If right? You just said that differently. Art. Uh, dude, yeah. Eiffel 65, if that was my very first CD, it was a great CD. Do you know yeah. who that Brings is? It back. I don't even know who that is. No. So, remember sing that, a little bit. You remember that song, I'm Blue? I'm Blue. Um, oh, I'm really? Oh, wow. It was yes. off that album. That was the one. You got that confiscated? They, they <laughs> did for a second, and then I like showed her the lyrics like in the back. You know how they used to put lyrics yeah. in the CD front? Yeah, so I like pulled that out and made her read the lyrics, and I was like, yeah, it says nothing about the Bible. It's talking about a bubble. Come on. Come on, Mom. <laughs> Come on, Mom. Come on. <laughs> My kids had all sorts of explicit lyrics, and I couldn't take it away I just her couldn't. daughter was like 13 years old playing gta just like killing hookers in the streets on video games i didn't love it but i also <laughs> was like if i try to take it away there's gonna go to their friend's house and do it so i'm just gonna yeah not make a huge deal out of it yeah yeah we would like she take porn and then hide it and inter- like intermittently around our house like it was before this is before I would get Napster when I was a kid, but we, yeah. it was the things that we tried to like hide from our parents. It was like CDs, and then and then we found these magazines. I don't even know where we acquired the magazines from. And we like put them in. I remember one time really clearly. So I lived out in the, like in the middle of nowhere, kind of Texas, like eight thousand person town in the Bible Belt, and we had a bunch of like magazines, like these like really terrible porn magazines that we acquired somewhere, and we put them in an old duffel bag and they put them underneath this trailer behind our shop like the shop behind our house and my granddad was back there weed eating and we were on the trampoline and we could see it happening and, and he finds like, this no, bag like slow motion like, no. and he like opens it up like what the hell is this like there, it was a, such a it was a really not a good hiding place at all it was no. basically in plain sight yeah it was like when you hide easter eggs from little kids but they're like on the bushes you know <laughs> and he opens it up and i was like man we're in for it now. <laughs> Did he go right to you guys? Did he? No. Yeah, he, yeah. he knew who it was. Yeah. It was me and my, my brother who's a year younger than me. Was, yeah. How I mean, did we, you explain yourself? We blamed it on my cousins. Okay, that's, that's smart. That's the easiest way yeah. to do it. Yeah, those guys are, they've, got, they've both done some prison time. Like, they, they were like the scapegoat <laughs> for all of us. It's like, it was them. It wasn't us. I just blamed shit like, on my, my sister's boyfriend at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever asshole was around. Like, dude, it was totally him. <laughs> 
That's helpful. <laughs> it is. You got to have yeah. somebody to put it off on. I don't really have a good scapegoat, <laughs> but I just didn't get caught. I it means you had to sneaky. take responsibility for your actions. <laughs> no, I was just super sneaky. I got, nice. away with, I got away with a lot of shit. All right. Well, we've got Connor in here for another episode of the Gravity Lift podcast. Welcome. Yo. <laughs> so I'm glad to be here. What brings you here? To Seattle? To Seattle, yeah. Yeah, so I uh, I guess it's been about a month and a half. Um, I was, I've been in Austin for eight years. And before that, I was in, uh, just, I, grew, I grew up in a small town in North Texas. And then I went to Texas State. And I was just, so I've been in Texas my whole life. And I had, I was kind of over it. And I had, had my podcast, The Realness, and I had some things. I knew I could live just kind of out in the wild. I don't want to call myself a digital nomad because I think it's super douchey, <laughs> but just kind of going and wandering around. And I had a lot of places I wanted to visit and a lot of friends I wanted to visit. So I just kind of uprooted my life. My lease was up and I packed up all my stuff, uh, stored it all, and went to Toronto without really a game plan of where I was going to end up. And then four weeks later, I was in Seattle, and here I am. So you're, you're on the start of this wandering journey of yours. Yeah, it's. I knew I was going to go. I had a few stops that I knew I'd make. So LA is one, Toronto is one, and then I'm uh, going down to Soltara in Costa Rica. Wow. So I'm going to be down there in no, late November. Um, we're scouting that place out for uh, the next realness retreat. Mm-hmm. So I'll be down there. But there was there was a few stops, but I knew there would be some places in between. And it's been really cool. It's it's. It was a, a very conscious choice to become ungrounded. Yeah. Yeah. So you got some headsets and you do a podcast and you are the first guest that we have had on our podcast that has their own podcast. Oh, wow. Yeah. We've had people of all sorts of walks of life and DJs and whatnot. Well, um, everyone we've had on says I that they want to have a podcast, but they just don't have one yet. All yeah. The, all the cool kids want to have a podcast. <laughs> well, that was one of the things is like when you and I were hanging out recently, we talked about like, oh, what podcast do you listen to? And it was like Joe Rogan. It's like, well, yeah, that doesn't count. Like everyone listens to Joe Rogan. <laughs> but like that was always so great is Joe is always having people on his podcast and being like, dude, you should have a podcast. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, yeah. what am I going to talk about? And he's like, I don't know, anything. Start a podcast. It's like the Joe Rogan stamp of approval because mm-hmm. he would tell people that that were really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, oh, I like this conversation. You should start a podcast. Yeah. You're good at talking. <laughs> yeah. I like I like conversing with you and I talk to a lot of people. I mm-hmm. mean, that guy, he's putting out probably 12 hours of podcasts a week. That's super impressive. Yeah. On top of being a full-time traveling comedian. Yeah, and, and commentating MMA. Yeah. He's, he's got crazy. And dad. Yeah. And dad, yeah. You forget about that because he's so good at he's so good at hiding his family from the oh, media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I Googled one time. I was like, what is this guy's can't wife find like? Anything. You know, he can't find no, any, nothing's yeah. out there. He talks about his Smart. daughters, but he doesn't talk about yeah. his wife at all. You never it's, hear it's anything so about good. his wife. He's so good yeah. at it. Because I mean they'll do people, especially with someone like Joe, they would just crawl into his life and just fuck with yeah. all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's crazy because everyone's trying to crawl into that life. But uh so that was kind of my inspiration for starting a podcast mm-hmm. was him in general and then as things have grown podcasting is kind of the new medium and you have quite a few podcasts under your belt uh what kind of brought you into this podcast medium because that happened like you started several years ago right two yeah, years so ago maybe about two years now yeah pretty and close you just recently uprooted your life yeah how did that work well the, it's funny man i so i coached crossfit for since 2000 like 2010 to 2017 um so i started coaching before i before i graduated college and it was fun. That was like, that was like my currency or my kind of form of communication was helping people move. And over that course of time, I really started caring more about the people than the fitness. And once I got really clear about that, 
I knew I had to leave fitness and, and kind of go out on my own. But something that was really common in the gym was that they would have these like Connorisms. <laughs> these just the things I would say, these quotes, because what would happen is when you get efficient at, you can, like in yoga, it's the same thing. When you get efficient at, at teaching the movement, well, then you can start weaving in other things in the class because yep. it's all it's a movement philosophy and that, that manifests in your life in, in so many different ways. Like your time in the studio or your time in the gym is kind of your life under a microscope. And how you do anything is how you do everything. So I started using that hour as best I could to impact lives outside of the gym and that was through the fitness and in business I started listening to guys like Tony Robbins of course like in the very beginning so it's like audiobooks and Simon Sinek the book start with why completely changed my life so I started getting into really an audio as a medium and then through Rob Wolf and and the paleo solution podcast mm -hmm. back in the day when I would be driving you know a few hours um, so I started loving podcasts and then once I presented I mean I was coaching five hours a day at least five days a week I got a lot of time under my belt speaking to people and understanding people. And I started getting the itch to have a one a podcast, you know, and then Joe Rogan's podcast really opened up my eyes to what a podcast can be and how much information can be transmitted through that medium, you know. Mm -hmm. And then uh, a couple of people really, I, th I have to say Chris Ryan was the one who made me understand why. And I was actually deer hunting. I was sitting in a, I was sitting in my deer stand and I was up in a tree just kind of waiting for the evening to come. And I realized that I didn't necessarily need any more of information. So Chris Ryan is the author, author of uh, Sex at Dawn. And he was talking about something. And I, I realized I didn't need any more information from the book Sex at Dawn or his philosophy on human sexuality and, and evolutionary psychology. Like that's, that's cool, but that really wasn't what I was listening to his podcast for. Mm -hmm. It was because I wanted to hear how his ideas came about and how he formed ideas and and that was, I was embodying that in my own thought process. Like I was really taking on his style of thinking into my life. And I was doing the same with Rogan. I was doing the same with like Duncan Trussell and Mark Manson later on. Um, yeah, so it was really fun. And then I started feeling like I started seeing that have an impact in my life and the way I was having conversations. So then after I left the fitness industry, I started working for Onnit. So I was the project manager for the CEO of Onnit. His name's Aubrey Marcus. And he had been on Rogan's podcast and with somebody, I listened to his show and, and um, he started a lifestyle development program called Go For Your Win. And one day, it was like two weeks into the program and I'd helped him get the program off the ground and I was the community manager. So I, I realized that people were asking a bunch of questions and, and I felt like I could field the questions because we were he was doing a Facebook Live into that community, that online Facebook community every week. So I started jumping in. I was like, hey, I'll, I'll do a Facebook Live, just answer some of these questions. Mm -hmm. And people loved it. <laughs> people loved it. And that was my first time working with people and it wasn't fitness wasn't really the excuse. It was just, what's going on in your life? How can I be here to serve? And that was me, my first voice to a to an audience. I think it was about 800 people in that community, and people dug it, and they started asking if I could start a podcast, and that got some attention from the people that I worked with and the people at On It. So we actually formed uh, the Pleasure Monkey Podcast, was the name of the first show, and that was kind of formed an association with On It. I still have On It as a sponsor now, and have been super supportive of me. So that's how it, that's kind of the whole. Yeah, origin story there. I, I definitely want to unpack the on it stuff a bit because on it has definitely been a big company for me in my life, especially obviously again, going back to Joe Rogan, but uh, <laughs> Aubrey, Aubrey kind of felt like this, this younger offshoot spirit of Joe Rogan that popped up. Um, 
without the name and the credibility. And then he just kind of like built this little empire through on it. And I have spent thousands of dollars on, on it supplements and different things. I've always kind of been that kind of biohacker type person that listens to podcasts and cause mm-hmm. I guess to unpack that even further. So I have ulcerative colitis, um, an autoimmune disorder. And so I have spent the better part of the last 12 years trying to figure out how the hell to heal myself. And I'm still on this journey trying to figure out what it is, trying, we'll call them fad after fad, um, but really trying to dig deeper into what it was. And on it was one of those things with, you know, shroom tech and alpha brain to help myself. And I got into floating and float tanks because of all of it. Um, So with on it, like how you were in Texas and you're doing CrossFit stuff. Were you doing like CrossFit through the Onnit gym and that's how you kind of became a part of it or what? So I was actually around Onnit before the Onnit gym existed or the Onnit Academy even. So yeah. I, if you look back, I was funny. I was scrolling back through some old Instagram posts and I have a bottle, a picture of the old bottle of Alpha Brain. Mm-hmm. Cause I was, I mean, Austin, I was in Austin and yeah. that's where Onnit's headquartered. Um, and I was friends with, I was actually Whitney Miller's personal trainer in college. So that's okay. Aubrey's girlfriend. Yeah. Um, and I was close with the guys from Barbell Shrugged and they had done some work with, I connected them with on it. So I just got, I was around the community and they, at this point they had a gym at on it, but it was like probably 600 square feet. Mm-hmm. It was real small. It was just kind of a, a place to test products, um, before they built out the whole, they bought the unit next door and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I got plugged in and I was, I was doing CrossFit and I was trying some different supplements. I had listened to, of course, Rogan and then. I started using Alpha Brain uh, during just on normal days, and I was doing high volume trainings. I was a competitive athlete, and I started noticing the effects that Alpha Brain had on my aerobic training mostly. Like I could stay focused. So I was doing like on a Concept Two row where I'd probably do ten to fifteen um, five hundred meter repeats, and I could stay focused on my pace. I noticed uh, much different, and then I started noticing it when I was doing work. It just like I, it was it wasn't as subtle as I thought it was going to be. I was so like, oh, when- this is kind of whatever, and it. I, it made sense and it worked. So then, so I under like investing. mass fatigue, your mm. brain was functioning at a higher rate. Yeah, well, I think so, but it was more presence. Like I could okay. feel mm. myself because a lot of times when you're doing that many repeats at an eighty-five to ninety percent effort, you're having to keep your heart rate down. So I could feel myself getting—I would we call it—getting hot. Like I would go too mm-hmm. hard, and I would be able to dial it back and stay in. Um, I would keep like a one forty-three split, right? Like that, I would keep my splits really consistent. Mm. And I didn't notice it was, I had been doing it for about, I taking Apple Brain daily for like two weeks before I actually was like, something's different. Something feels different. And then that was the, that was the only thing I had changed. And then I stopped and then, then I could, then I kind of did a self test and was like, oh, this stuff is actually really Interesting. helpful. Cause I've taken Alpha Brain a ton, like I said, and I, my case is a difficult case because mm-hmm. there's so much going on inside of me that is just so difficult to really break down. And that's kind of my life journey is sorting out how to break through my own health. Uh, and one of the big things I know, you know, talking with Antonella a bunch, cause she was a personal trainer for 10 years, um, is any more physical activity. So one of the things is when I was young, I played competitive water polo. Like I loved sports. Sports was my entire life. And then I went off to college, was going to play sports down there and then ended up with a really bad attack and ended up losing like 40 pounds in a week. I was in the ER, like shit sucked. And I kind of, my body like broke down, but that led me to yoga. And so like everything's silver lining. Like I love where I am now, but it's, um, what, what brings me to that is that like taking the on it supplement in a, in a day-to-day supplement never really made me feel like I was at an elevated state. And so that's mm. why I asked if that extra activity level kind of brought that 
um, focus in it. And I feel like that seems to be that extra piece. It's like on it can like help your brain work. But if you're not working the rest of your body and your brain at the same time to really like reach an elevated state, Mm -hmm. it's not really doing much. And that's where I feel that's been my learning lesson through supplements is like you can't just take a multivitamin and be like all right now i'm good like you have to actually do something with it you can't just take steroids and get jacked you actually have to do something with it exactly exactly and the thing about it was like you're it's not going to make you disciplined right it's mm-hmm. like i was i could, I could notice a three percent change in my the way i was performing and it was a mental performance more than a physical performance but those are obviously tied together like if you read a ton and then you take alpha brain and also continue to read a lot you might notice a small shift Mm -hmm. because it's not modafinil it's not adderall it's not you know it's not caffeine it's it's earth-grown supplements that are all kind of accumulated into one thing and i think shroom tech is the same thing it's not c4 it's not you know explode (laughs) it's shroom tech like it's it's a it's a bunch of cordyceps mushrooms and other earth-grown nutrients so it's not going to be you're not going to go in there and get a like a vicious pump because you took shroom tech but you can up your performance and up your aerobic or your ATP production a little bit every time and you're not damaging yourself and you're not killing your adrenals in the meantime. I took so much NO Explode in college thinking that that was the way to do it. Did you ever take uh, Jack 3D? No. Dave did. Dave took everything under the sun and my roommate took a bunch of other stuff. All I stuck was with No Explode because I'm naturally vascular anyway so I loved it. So shredded dude. (laughs) I loved a little pump from it in college (laughs) but then I think that's really what led to my decline in health is that freshman year was when I was taking a ton of it. I was in the gym all the time. Mm -hmm. I was like I'm like 163 right now i was 193 and just lost like 45 pounds <laughs> just everything disappeared dude it's rough man it's like i remember the first time i took um a pre-workout just a different it's a different level he's like whoa this is crazy and it tastes like kool-aid yeah. and then you go one scoop to two scoops yeah and i was drinking like so much whey protein back in the day like yeah. I, I would love I would love to see if you could just like have a pile of powder like how much whey protein <laughs> I've ingested in my life because I don't even I don't do that I have I ate myself into a dairy allergy yeah yeah <laughs> so did I that's why that's part of why yeah. I think I can't tolerate dairy anymore is I was hundred percent whey protein shakes every day you came from fitness the fitness background too right yeah yeah, yeah. I was at Gold's gym and uh, I did the first just the training route and then got into the management of trainers and kind of saw the behind the scenes bullshit that I did not want to be a part of and <laughs> realized that that unless you're going to be part of the management side, you top out so quickly when you're working for someone else. So I took off on my own back in like 06, I want to say. I don't even know what year. And, uh, and then I just started to see clients privately. I would just go to them or they would come to me and and I did that for a really long time. I still have a couple left uh, even now, but um, yeah, I loved it. And and part of it was I loved to work out and I still love to work out, but yeah, I never got into the fancy supplements. I'm not even good at taking like birth control or multivitamin <laughs> or... <laughs> yeah, she's so bad at taking so her stuff, bad. but she's she's got that dedication for it anyway and Super she can go dedicated. work out and she loves to do it. For me, like I struggle so much getting out of bed to do the physical work. And even if I am out of bed, like to do other things, like Mm -hmm. I just, I really struggle with that extra piece to be like, just fucking do it. Yeah. I had to hack that for myself for a long time. I mean, cause I was competing. Most of my training has been around competing in something. Mm -hmm. And then when it's just competing with yourself, it's a whole different conversation. Exactly. (laughs) That's been my issue is like, 
I would do competitive sports and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, I don't do those anymore and I am not at a level where I can compete on a school basis anymore. Mm -hmm. So then I got into yoga and got like, quote unquote, competitive with that, which is the exact antithesis of what yoga (laughs) is. But I was like, oh, I'm fucking good at yoga. I can do this thing and be really good at it. And then went through teacher training was like, oh, no, this is so much more complex Mm -hmm. and I can do so much more with it that really triggers the part of my brain that makes me tick. And that's the tough thing is that like working out like it is necessary in order to keep your brain at optimal like working capacity. But it's really easy for me to just fall back on not working out because I just love to think and watch cool things and read cool things and like be super cerebral. Yeah. Yeah. And so I find myself being too cerebral, but then I find my mind starts to wander because I then don't have that, that discipline to come back to doing some physical routine and Mm -hmm. where she notices it the most is in my attitude. Just like, yeah. I'm a million times better if I've worked out. And well, it's really hard. There's to- a progression though. So there's the <laughs> there's the hey babe, do you want to work out and that whole thing. And then the okay, well, we've decided that it's going to happen and then there's sort of me pulling him along and then we get there and he's in a shitty mood for like at least the first 10 15 minutes that we're working out and we don't work out for very long. So this is a good chunk of it. He's just like mad about being there and then there's a shift that happens and he's more like giggly and talkative and he's like getting into it and then i'm like all right well we're done and he's like oh okay and you can tell it kind of like wasn't that bad and then he's in a great mood the rest of the day but it's like it's like groundhog's day it's like he wakes up and he forgets that that was a good thing and that he enjoyed it and he goes through the same struggle all over again of like, I don't know, I have these responsibilities and do I have time and what about food? Because food's always a big issue for him. So like eating at the right time is really important so that he can actually feel like he can work out and it's it's a little bit of a struggle for us relationship-wise, I will say, because I I do think that... um, I tend to go in mommy mode because I've been a mom for 20 years. And so that's just kind of what I do. And um, also being a trainer and helping people feel better and be happier for a long time. It's like, of course, you want that for the person that you're with. But I can't, I, I can't be his mom. And, I, and, and I'm not competitive with him. And he's not paying me. I'm not his trainer. And so how you like... In, inspire your partner to want to come do these things it's it's tricky and so i've just learned i just go do it myself because he seems to work well if i lead by example so if i'm like all right well i'm gonna go work out and i go do it every once in a while he's like okay well i think i'm gonna come too and i'm like okay cool like yeah come yeah i think there's a lot to be said about that oh we're good okay yeah Uh. i definitely have to like change my relationship with working out and that's the big thing because for me as a kid uh i guess i'll say as a kid but when i was like 18 17 still still a kid yeah (laughs) well at 29 still i guess kind of a kid but yeah (laughs) a kid at heart that's for sure uh but like at 17 i would like go to the gym with my friends and my friends would all be like jacked and they would love to work out and they they would get such a thrill out of it and they could bench so much more than me they could do so much more than me and i was always like felt like i was behind And then Mm. I go to play water polo down in California and the coach is basically like, you're too small 
you need to gain 30 pounds if you actually want to play competitively. So then I hit the gym being like, fuck, I'm too small. I got to get bigger. Let me take weight gaining supplements. Let me take, you know, everything I can. And then I'm this tall, skinny kid trying to work out in the gym and I'm getting like made fun of, but like in a friendly way, like they were all my friends, but they're all like giving me shit because they're all like stronger than me or bigger than me or like, I don't know. I've got a super tiny waist. And so they're always like this one kid would always grab my shirt behind me and be like, how the fuck are you so skinny and have (laughs) biceps that are that big? He's like, it makes no sense. So like I have this weird relationship with working out that always felt like I had to do it for like someone else or for something else. And I just need to change that relationship because I I need it for me. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of, a lot of that, what I see in my clients as well, because I came from the CrossFit world, right? But I would say like strength and conditioning sport. So CrossFit strongman. So people came to me and I'm a, I'm a big dude. And the difference in, in me and Jordan is like, he's got small hips. I've got like brick hips. Like I'm like a <laughs> rectangle, <laughs> you know? And so people came to me and I knew that, that they valued me because I could help them move, move weight and get strong and do these things, which the truth be told, I didn't choose my bone structure. Yeah. So a lot of it has just happenstance. Like I didn't deadlift mm-hmm. seven, 600 pounds because I deadlifted often. Mm-hmm. I deadlifted 600 pounds had big ass hips. Genetics. <laughs> yeah. A lot of it yeah. was. And yeah. it's also why my back's completely trashed. But, um, but it was an expression of values. Like I valued being able to, 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 to have a role in people's lives. So I, <laughs> it's funny. I did ayahuasca when I was at the, at the, Right when I right before I closed my gym down, I was I was working out the following week, and I was like, "Why do I even do this? I don't even understand anymore." And then I realized that I had valued so much being able to use something I had been gifted with to to affect people's lives in some way. Mm-hmm. And now that it is that isn't as present anymore, I have I do struggle with it now. And then my, my body's kind of giving me some feedback to to readdress some things. But I think when it comes to expressing yourself in physical fitness, it's like, what are your what are your values in, in day-to-day life in and outside of the gym? And then how can you manifest those in the gym in certain ways? I have this with guys that um, are having trouble getting into like their masculine place. Uh, they, don't, they have, they have a, a trouble expressing masculinity in a healthy way. And the funny thing is, I've seen this, especially I'm actually uh, looking at moving to Encinitas, California, but there's a lot of guys, there's, a, there's a, like a lack of masculine men down there, which is kind of why I feel <laughs> called to be down there. And it's like, listen, bro, I know it's going to suck, but I want you to pick this sandbag up and then you're going to carry it over there and mm-hmm. then you're going to drop it and then you're going to pick it up again and carry it over here because mm-hmm. that's like, that's, you're going to get into your man brain. And you're that's your get, workout. Like, yeah. I don't need, I don't need to do some lame gym workout i think that's the thing too that i got used to he does way better at is like i would much rather work out outside or Mm -hmm. go on a hike or just move shit and be active physically because at the end of the day if i don't i'm not as happy and i'm more anxious and depressed and insecure and so i really don't care about aesthetics i gave up aesthetics Mm -hmm. a long time ago but i work out because if i don't i'm a bitch (laughs) i guess i'm already a bitch but i'm bitchier than than i already am which is what i'm finding now because i'm definitely she would agree i'm kind of a bitch i haven't worked out and that's where it was like the gym for me was always aesthetic based. I always had friends and I'd be on like bodybuilding.com and like looking up the best workouts to do. And last time we hung out or on the way out to that show, you and I were talking about like how the fitness world has changed. And Mm -hmm. so like back then it was like, all right, I'm going to do buys and then tries and then I'm going to do back (laughs) and I'm going to do shoulders. And like you like split these things up and you're like doing certain specific workouts to like get bigger muscles. And all I'm 
reading about is other people that actually bodybuild for a living and I'm trying to like emulate what they're yeah. doing in order to get strong, but none of it was getting strong. It was just being able to like move weights in a certain mm-hmm. way. It wasn't this like dynamic movement of my body and that's what I found through yoga and so now I'm I'm struggling to take it to that next level where I can like like you said pick up a sandbag yeah. set it over somewhere else pick it up and set it back down yeah. just to do it just because yeah, yeah. and there's there, you, there's got to be some kind of value expression in there it's like it, if if for for example if I look at that and I say okay like do you have trouble completing tasks like get, like following through with things well then, let's find something in the gym that makes you. So then, you, then you're not thinking about working out. You're like, this is life, because life isn't segmented into work, working out, relationships, parenting, nutrition. It's like it's just life. You just do it. You just do it. So mm-hmm. it's like, how far do you want to go? Okay, do you want to go 15? Well, let's go. Tw- let's carry the sandbag 20 yards then, because then it's like you're gonna actually finish, and I want you to go through the 15 really hard, and then finish, and then you'll feel you're gonna feel better about what what you're doing, and then you're gonna take that same mentality. It's like, oh, it felt good to actually be doing intervals on a on a on a bike or on a or on a tra- or some kind of running intervals, and knowing that you didn't pull up right before you had to. Like, say you're doing 100 meter sprints, and most people are pulling up at 98, right? They're kind of coasting through the 100, but you finished the 100. That says a lot about the way how, who you are as a person, because that's the, that's the person you're gonna look at and say like that's somebody who finishes tasks. That's why military guys are so kick ass at, at at getting things done. Guys like Jocko Willink are doing what they do is because that that guy doesn't know how to not finish tasks that he starts. Mm-hmm. I would say that waking up at four thirty in the morning to work out every fucking day is probably not good for your adrenal function and and. If as long as you're, I mean, you need to be getting, you need to go, need to be going to sleep at like 7 p.m. to be doing that. And Jocko Willink would tell me he doesn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's gonna do it, and that's why he's super disciplined and resilient. But I think there's, it's something fun to look at your life and be really objective about it, and then be like, how can I challenge what I'm struggling with in my real life, in the gym or outside of the gym or in fitness in some way. I think about that a lot, and that's that's like a guy that I uh, do lifestyle design with, one of my, one of my favorite clients. Um, for those guys, I help them find find a way a form of fitness i think it's really important so if you're lacking community and communication then i would like send people to a crossfit gym if guys have never been in a situation where they're able to flow and move yoga studio right they're, they're going to get they're going to do a, a month of yoga if um if someone's having having trouble expressing masculinity and like being wants to do it in a really intense way jujitsu because you have to learn like that's that's like yoga, but you choke each other out. Like it's it's a weird it's a weird dual partnership, and there's a lot of trust and a lot of nonverbal cues. So I think there's training and fitness is a huge opportunity to address struggles in your real life. And if you but people usually look at it the other way. It's like they don't they don't create their training programs or their workout programs around the rest of their life and like what's actually what their struggles are and what they enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, does that make any sense? For like sure. Rambling a little bit. No, <laughs> that makes total sense. Do you, are there any things that pop out in your head that you could translate into movement that would help, that would help not just in your, not to say that you need to fix your life, but that would complement <laughs> your life in a way that it wouldn't seem like such a chore. It wouldn't seem like it's, taking time away from the other things you need to be doing, but rather helping to increase the productivity of everything that you do. I think one of the biggest things um, that I can say about it all is community. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of a big thing about this podcast in Mm -hmm. general, but I feel like I need a community in order to be engaged in something. Um, And it's like no slight to you, but like 
you're my wife. So it's like we can do stuff together and that's like my community and I definitely enjoy those times and it makes me better. But there's something about me that needs like a, a group of people. And then maybe that's because I grew up playing baseball, basketball, soccer, mm-hmm. water polo, like football. It was like always this team engagement sports and like those people motivated me to do stuff. And so like when I came to your classes uh, at balance like there was a community we had like that friday fusion crew like there was this crew of people that was like no i need to show up because those people are going to be like where are you Mm -hmm. and that kind of i don't know that need to like be a part of something is really strong and i don't feel that as much um which is hard because like we've created this like almost compound of this place where we live where i've got my studio here like we've got the dome like i work on the property like we've got our yoga studio set up here like i literally don't have to leave this property other than to like go grocery shopping (laughs) and it's amazing like it's literally like everything i could want while still being in the city but at the same time like I, I really want that community. And so I've, I've gone and done jujitsu once and I would love to do it more. But again, it's like really hard for me to show up to a gym solo and then meet people. Yeah. And when I was it's young, it'd be challenge. like, let's go to the gym. And it'd be like, oh, either my frat brothers would come to the gym with me yeah. or it'd be like other dudes that I was like trying to work out with water polo. Like there was, there was always something. And I think I struggle with needing that group dynamic to really like motivate to make it a part of something. Yeah. A lot of people are like that. A lot of people need the community or love, like, just, I don't even say, I want to say need, but enjoy it or prefer that. The group fitness thing is huge right now. Um, I'm glad to see group fitness changing in a positive light because I feel like group fitness is... (laughs) Jazzercise. Yeah. And that was kind of the main thing is there's a lot of group fitness that I feel like doesn't really do the right things. And I feel like that's changing now. There's a lot of places that are doing that type of group fitness. Yeah. Um, And I assume you encountered a lot of that at Onnit. I did. They have, they have a lot of different programs that on it as well. I mean, but I've been solo for so long. I mean, when you're competing, it's no one's going to follow that regimen unless they're competing as well. So we're talking like three hours a day. I mean, it was just my it was my world, and I enjoyed having people join in if they could. But when you're also on your one thing that we've really valued, and I followed like OPEX is um is the company that I that I followed their training programs, and uh, my coach was a coach from training think tank. His name's Max El Hodge. So I had these really high-level developed program. So if you, if you weren't a competitive athlete, and then I also wasn't changing it for anybody else. But it, on it, what was really cool is the community aspect there, um, since you're using odd implements so much, like the mace and the... and the um, I'm, I'm not going to consider kettlebells an odd implement at this point. They're pretty standard. <laughs> but the mace and uh, but the they are clubs, For the average person, they are odd as fuck. They're definitely more odd than a, kettle, than a uh, barbell. All of, of my time. friends that I used to lift with, no one ever uses kettlebells. And okay. she's always talking about it. She, we, we have kettlebells, kettlebells and we yeah. use them and they're great. And that's one of the things I would love to use more. But like using a steel mace, like that sounds cool as fuck. It's like, really cool. I yeah. want to do that instead of like bench pressing. Yeah. Well, bench pressing is kind of pointless. But. Whoa, chill, chill. <laughs> sorry. Chill. <laughs> Don't tell my pecs that, dude. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's super helpful for aesthetics and for popping boobies, but um, otherwise kind of I actually don't even, I, I might, I've, I've thought about swearing the barbell off for a full year. I, I don't think that's a bad idea. No, I mean, you just got to be in the right, in the proper gym to be able to do that. True. Um, yeah. But I haven't, I haven't, I mean, I was, you know, snatching clean and jerk and I didn't, I haven't benched very much in the past five or six years, but it came up every now and then some close grip. Um, I fucked my elbow up recently and that's been, I think that was from close, uh, from chest to bar, straight chest to bar pull-ups and 
close grip incline. I was trying some different stuff out and I got into a wonky position, I guess. Yeah. How have injuries affected you? Because injuries are a huge <laughs> thing. Like that's what fucks with me the most. And I know everyone has yeah. some sort of injury doing something and it's always like, oh, I don't want to, my shoulders hurt. You know, I want to say like the past couple months have been, I've also been traveling a ton. Yeah. So I've been doing more yoga than anything and I've been feeling more called to do more yoga than anything yeah. else. Um, it's not, I want to say I don't feel motivated to go to the gym and like, and do what I used to do. I just, I'm, I'm not capable of doing the things I used to be able to do. Like I would go in and do, you know, I, I could jerk 375 pounds. So I could put that over my head. You so see, you could jerk a 375 pound. Yeah. Dude. No, <laughs> I could, if I wanted to, and it'd be great. Lucky, the lucky big man. <laughs> Wait, so how old are you now? Uh, 31. Okay. So you're uh, only two years older than me. Yeah. So why do you say your body just can't do what it used well, to no, do? Well, no, no. I just, it's that, the, the, um, the way that the, the place that I'm like stuttering off my ass over here, the way that I got to where I was, like I don't, I don't have that time to commit to fitness, nor do I yeah. want to compete anymore. Yeah. So once you take that element out, it's like, For I sure. still love to train. I'd like to train. I like to give myself two hours a day, yeah. two hours a day, but it's, it's, that's 10 minutes on an assault bike, getting warmed up and then doing some flow movement intervals and then, you know, doing some single leg hinging and then, and then going into some kind of core piece with an upper body push piece. Like it's, it's a whole different, what I would call like functional bodybuilding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of weightlifting in there, but not like, I'm not doing a shit ton of snatch and clean and jerk or really trying to get better at snatching and clean and jerking, which are like Olympic weightlifting movements. And I'm not going to deadlift 600 pounds probably ever again. It's a phase. Like I went through a definite Olympic phase and I loved it. And I just don't think you need to do it forever. Like yeah. you get to a point where you're like, all right, that was cool. Now what else is out there? And the people who do stick with it long term, like that, that's their deal. But yeah. I think you just have a lot more going on. And like Jordan battles with is the cerebral side or the side that's like, what else is out there? And it doesn't mean that you're not active or you're not going to do physical things. It just means it's not... Yeah, it, it's going to keep evolving as you do. Well, that's the thing too. When I talk about what what you want more of in your life and manifesting that in through through fitness is like I, I thrive in curiosity. And curiosity is my one of my favorite aspects of life. So for me, putting myself in a room where I'm the worst at something, mm-hmm. and maybe not the worst, but it's not good or unexperienced, and I have to listen more, and I and I'm willing to be taught. That's something I haven't done in a physical setting in a long time. You know, because I was I was coaching. I owned the gym. If I, I could go to most gyms in the country and be in the top three athletes in the gym, if not the best, right? And it, that's just because I I gave so much of my life to it. It wasn't it wasn't privilege. It was it was definitely earned because I grew up as like a fat, pudgy, awkward kid <laughs> and I had to figure that all out. But now it's like going to yoga class where I'm challenged and I'm having to listen and I'm having to try new things and I'm getting into a flow state because I'm outside of my comfort zone or going to like a kettlebell flow class I've never with a teach somebody I don't even know and just mm-hmm. listening and not letting them know that I coached for however long and not trying to stroke my ego off by being like oh yeah I used to be this guy that did this thing it's like yeah. just shut the fuck up and go to the class and listen because you haven't done that in a decade and that might be really good for you mm-hmm. and then you could probably listen better in conversations and you might learn something <laughs> if you just keep your damn mouth shut yeah. and that's something I wanted more in my life so that's what I've I've brought into it and and now I'm finding myself back into a little more balance with it all. And it, it, but when you're competing and that, I was, I value competing so highly, there wasn't space for it. And mm-hmm. that's the big theme of my life over the past year is just, is creating space. Cause it, it, I can't just keep hoarding things. You know, I have to create some space, 
get clumsy, let something new in, and then let that settle out, then go create some more chaos, and then let go of something else, and then that's the process of life. I don't, I try not to keep a, a too firm of a grasp on things that that used to serve. Mm-hmm. I think we get stuck in that a lot. It's like, oh, this used to, this used to serve me at some point, so it must still have some kind of functionality, and it's like. Nah, dude, that's like that's like keeping that's like keeping a tin can that used to have green beans in it. Like it, yeah. it, it, it was something at one point, but now it's just a fucking piece of trash. Yeah, and people do the same go. thing with goals and and mm-hmm. and their thoughts on what they think they want from their life. They get stuck on, I don't know. I think tiny goals, really, and then <laughs> and then they go, oh well, that's but that's what I want, but but really, like, what's think bigger, like what what is the overall encompassing vibe that you want to create, mm-hmm. and then quit nitpicking on how that happens. Yeah, I think <laughs> people get stuck on um, how it's gonna happen. Yeah, like, oh, I decided I was gonna. This is what was gonna happen. This is how it was gonna happen. And I mean, I did. That was my whole twenties when I opened the the gym. I'm not gonna say it was a mistake, but it wasn't a smart move. You know, I go back and look at, you know, give myself advice. I just had blinders on. I decided when I was 19 years old that I was going to own my own gym. And I did when I was 26 or 27-ish. I had just turned 27. Um, and I did it. And I overlooked some outrageously amazing opportunities to do it. Mm-hmm. I was extremely good at what I did. And I was closed-minded. And I was extremely naive. And I didn't ask good questions. And I thought that I was entitled to success because I worked hard and did it for the right reasons. And that is not the way the fucking world works. No. And that was that's the biggest lesson. And that's it stung me all you know over and over again. But it's 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 a gift in some way, you know. And that's I got into that world because speaking of injuries, like I I ruptured my S one. Uh, disc when I was 19, working oil and gas construction when I grew up growing up, and then I just couldn't I couldn't get in a three point stance for a for a year. I played for college football at a small school, and they told me I wouldn't deadlift again ever again. And I was like, well, I don't accept that. So I started <laughs> <laughs> researching. Yeah, I was like, I'll, I'll figure this out. So I started researching, and that got me into the fitness world, and that led me to this place of you know down line. You know, you put the, if you draw the lines to put the dots together, it's in this place where I get to serve people with my experience and it's fucking awesome and it's a constant and it's funny when you when you accept that role it's like okay i feel i feel called to this i'm gonna accept that it's like the universe conspires to make you earn it a little bit it's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna teach now it's like all right cool well now you gotta learn and teach from a place of learning see if you can pull that off (laughs) yeah that's that's really i guess to wrap up my thing that's what i'm struggling with the most is that i've spent my entire life researching mm-hmm. like i know the information it's all it's all there and <laughs> yeah it sounds like there's someone outside yeah i thought i heard somebody. <laughs> uh all the research is there I, like i i know it i know in my head mm-hmm. like I'm, i guess that's a little over egotistical to say i know it all <laughs> but like I've, I've done the research i've i've put in the work on that front mm-hmm. but i haven't put in the work physically and it feels like that's the next step and we keep talking about like working out but like that really seems to be that that solidifying piece in mm-hmm. life of like literally the hard work um and i think very much we live in a life that we're in a world that says brain power is everything and i think it kind of is in in its own way but it 
it can't be that alone. We can't be these cerebral monkeys hooked up to EKG monitors floating in a tank living in virtual reality. Like our bodies just won't survive like that. And Uh I don't think we can be fully functional unless we like hit all the different pieces. And it's, I think, uh, working out is one of those things that's very lost in our society of what's necessary. Um, but I think people are still doing it a ton. But so for me, it's like, how do I get in there physically? You gotta, you gotta find the itch you want to scratch, you know? I think, and I think physicality has gotten lost. I think that, you know, to talk about masculinity even has been, that word is almost negative at this point especially with things like the Kavanaugh hearings that are going on now and all that kind of craziness. It's, it's weird. It's, it's a, it's a strange time to be a a man or anybody who wants to be physically, um, dominant, right? It's, it's a weird thing. You look, we look, we've even knocked on people who have big biceps and like to do bench press in this conversation Mm -hmm. as a joke because it's like a trope, right? It is funny, but there's something there. There's a reason people want to do that. And there's an itch they're scratching with that. It's, it's, it's funny, man, but for you, it seems like it seems like a point A to point B thing would be simple and effective and not because if you, if you have a tendency to get super cerebral with things, you need to not with fitness. Well, yeah, because all I'm thinking about is point C, D, E, F, G. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, but it could be this way. And it's like, but it's not. Do yeah. The, do and, the thing. And if my, do the fucking work. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's literally the epitome of it all. Like Stephen Pressfield. Like, yeah. Do the work. Do the, do work. the work. I love that guy. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's, it's funny, man. Hard work is actually kind of lost on, on society a lot, too, I feel like. And these guys like Gary Vaynerchuk and their completely over-the-top way of sh- expressing themselves is needed in a way, you know. Look at this, like, no, dude, you got. If you want, if you want to make something happen, you got to do it. And what did he say? He said something on the other day. Of course, he had like a meme or some shit. It was like, um, yeah, you have time. You just chose something else, and that we don't look at that enough. It's like, well, you create, you chose this for yourself, mm-hmm. right? Like you're you're choosing your day for yourself at least for sure and your relationships. And it doesn't matter if you're choosing if you're choosing not to change. You're still choosing that. That the choosing not to is still an action, so it's really it's really interesting to see that. And we don't, yeah. There's not a lot of just grit work, you know. A lot of the, even though a lot of that fitness has gone away. I mean, fuck. Look at Instagram ads and YouTube ads of guys that want to tell you like, oh, if you want to look like Christian Bale and Batman, it's like what the what? what? I want to look like Connor Moore in my real life. I yeah. look like Christian Bale in The Machinist. Oh <laughs> man, not really. <laughs> like emaciated. Yeah, it's interesting. Just I think everyone just has to have a different path to learning those specific mm-hmm. things and that's I think what we're all struggling with by listening to podcasts or reading books is like yeah. how did this one dude do that it's like well that's a story that can be anecdotal and it can help you get to where you want to get to mm-hmm. but that path is not going to be your path like some people come from the fitness world and then have to learn how to get cerebral with it in mm-hmm. order to build a business or survive doing this thing that they just they know they have hard work but they don't know how to like put it to good use whereas for me like i know how to work hard on a cerebral level but mm-hmm. i don't know how to work hard on a physical level yeah um and i, think I don't one of agree the things... with that statement at all okay I, I think you work really hard on a physical level when you choose to yeah i mean when you're out for hours out in the trees or you're who knows what you're doing with the weeds like you go out and you do like actual labor and then when you go to a yoga class you work super hard so i don't i don't know i don't 
I don't want you to sell yourself short and put yourself into this box of like, this is how I am and that is how I am. And I don't know. I think you, you're you yeah. too hard on yourself sometimes. Yeah. Well, sorry yeah. for the loud ass noise That's going right. on up there. It's a, it's a fight club. It's a fight club outside the studio. <laughs> There's construction on the studio, it's apparently. The cider House Fight Club. Um, yeah, and maybe that's the thing too is maybe you just don't need to lift weights. Dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's cool. We'll just you do, do yoga. not it's need fine. to lift weights. <laughs> You're going to be fine. Like when he came back from jujitsu, he's like, babe, we got to go. We got to go. And I'm like, I'm down. Like, I would love to. I used to kickbox. Like, I, yeah. I can take him on. Like, I'm totally down to go. But like, we just got to go. Yeah, I, I definitely live in that place consistently of. I don't want to say comparison because I know full well, like you said, I've done the research. I know yeah. comparison's the thief of joy. I know that's literally the worst <laughs> thing you can do, but like that's just something that's always kind of there in me. Um, and to bring back up the analogy you said of like having a can of beans and you've already eaten the beans and you just have the can left, like uh, that same situation is kind of reminiscent of psychedelic drugs for me where mm. like, a lot of fitness people are getting into psychedelic drugs because they realize that it can unlock this potential to take you somewhere else. And I experimented with those at a younger age. And so I think that's part of where my brain went. And I kind of like went the whole cerebral route because like I did school and school was my thing. I had to do really good in school so I could get <laughs> really good college so I could get really good job. That's what I did. And then I came home and was like, wait, I don't want to do that. But like, but I had this, this life learning lesson of how to do that really well. Mm -hmm. And so for the last few years, it's just been like reading and listening and like exploring these deep cerebral thought processes, some of them spurned by psychedelics. But now I'm at this point where I'm at 29 and I like basically can't do psychedelics anymore. Like my because of the way my body reacts to them. So like physically, my body breaks down when I do psychedelics and my mind wants to go somewhere, but it can't because it's wrapped up in my body. So it turns into this closed loop of just like, fuck, I feel like shit. My brain can't go somewhere. So I feel like I've got that empty can of beans and I'm like still like, this is cool. I want to do psychedelics. <laughs> I want to talk to people about psychedelics. But my body's like, no, you can't. The podcast life, dude. Woo. Slanging them. <laughs> Slanging the blend, podcast. I had a blender going off one of the back of my podcast one time at a right? coffee shop. It's not a big deal. <laughs> They're making margaritas well, for, the and night, for the night shift. Next week, we'll be doing our podcast on a little Tascam recorder at a festival where it's going to be loud and oh, chaotic. Yeah, it's going to be a so. dirty bird. Yeah. Speaking yeah, of we'll just, yeah. We'll roll with it. Let's talk about how psychedelics make your body all fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Bring it back to that. Uh, basically, are we still recording? Yeah. I just left it recording oh. the entire mm -hmm. time. It's cool. just one of those. Yeah. I was like, we'll, we'll talk when we talk. I can snip it out however is best. <laughs> That's always the tough thing with having to edit a podcast. It's like, all right, where did the sounds come in that were so awful that you couldn't hear anything yeah. anymore? Mm -hmm. you, had to, um, you, had to, you had to make an adjustment. Yeah. So we'll just leave it where it's at. Uh, so coming back to psychedelics um on a physical level my body just doesn't like them um and so i end up feeling like shit whenever i take psychedelic and i know um that psychedelics are part of the reason that has allowed my ma mind to expand to the level it has to be able to think critically about different aspects to even be able to have this conversation on a real level about the fact that i need to work out to get my body and mind to work so like 
that's where I said I've done the research and some of that research is doing psychedelics yeah. to like to train my brain in a different way to see things differently. Um, but I still want to go back to it, like to bring back that the beans in the can and I'm I've already eaten the beans, but I'm still holding on to that can because <laughs> I like I enjoy that and I do that in life. I have a lot of things that I'm holding on to that I don't need. Um, and to really unpack that, we can get into like family things. Uh, you just met my mom and like, <laughs> we have a warehouse full of stuff because she's held on to things. And so she's finally getting to a point where she can let go of things and I'm trying to do the same thing. Um, but I guess when it comes to psychedelics, I feel it's a very kind of like hip thing these days for especially, uh, masculine men to do psychedelics and it feels I don't know, like this, it, it's almost becoming this socially acceptable norm to try them in a way to break it down. But now I've hit in this wall that I'm like, I can't do them anymore. And I almost feel like I've gotten what I can out of them. Maybe for now, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Because what's your experience with psychedelics? You mentioned that you did ayahuasca in what, 2017, 16? Uh, yeah. What? Yes. Yeah, 16. Yeah. Yeah, so I did ayahuasca in twenty right before twenty sixteen, so it's the end of twenty fifteen. And okay. I've done it once since then, about a, year, a little over a year ago. So um my experience with psychedelics is interesting because you did them younger. I didn't even smoke weed till I was twenty. So I was already I was like well into college before I even touched a a drug aside from alcohol and you know, Adderall. The um, Texas life. <laughs> yeah, that Texas Bible about life. And yeah, it, it wasn't even something I was around. You know, it wasn't even an option. No one no one ever scored any LSD. I mean, I'm sure they did. But in my high school, my little Texas high school, like that wasn't really a thing. It was just trying to get a case of beer for the weekend. <laughs> so I got into, I would say psychedelics when I was about 26 and a mentor of mine, uh, Mike Bledsoe, who won't remind, who won't mind me saying his name now because he's kind of an advocate. We're both kind of advocates for that. But he had taken, he would went to a went to a conference, and they were talking about mushrooms to help with organizational structures and 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 business, which is super common now, right? Like psychedelics help you have a better business and a more conscious business. It's super hip to do that. Yeah. And you go to Burning Man, you know, that's the next step. And he had he had spoken about mushrooms. We actually uh, may or may not have smoked DMT together one time, like before I'd done any of this stuff, right? So I dabbled into doing some mushrooms and, and just was curious about my own mind. It was from a pure, it wasn't a spiritual thing. It wasn't anything like that. It was just, I was just curious about them and my, and how, how it was hard to even like find them and like sourcing them. <laughs> it was a weird experience to take like my first like three grams of mushrooms and I just mixed it in a tea and trying to do that. And it was, it was a really funny experience, but it felt really good. And I remember the first time I, I took my dog out to go to the bathroom because I thought I was going to, I had no idea what to expect, right? I did it with a friend and she ended up leaving later, a few hours later. I was feeling pretty, I was feeling fine, but definitely had some, a bunch of thoughts. Like I was just getting really, a lot of clarity on thoughts. And I had this dry erase board in my house. And it was just full of just things. I wish I had a, I wish I still had a photo of that. It was just full. And I was like, I'm going to look at these tomorrow and the next day and see if they still make sense. Cause I might, I might just be being crazy right now, but everything really held up. It was like that I'd found a lot of clarity in my, in clearing the noise in my head. And, um, I would remember taking my dog out for the, to go to the bathroom after I kind of, after this kind of wrapped up and I wasn't in a party. It wasn't anything like that. I just listened to music and hanging out. And I remember my dog looking at me after he went and like, he went and peed in the bushes and then came back and we were just looking at each other. And I was like, Oh, 
we're not that much different, huh? <laughs> he was like, no. <laughs> he didn't say that, but his eyes said that. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And it was weird. I was like, I felt this, what I would call now, like this like, kind of distinct connection with life that I feel really blessed to have gotten to experience via psychedelics and then brought back to normal waking consciousness, right? So once I closed my gym, I got invited to this ayahuasca ceremony um, because somebody's sister had give, had had a baby a couple weeks early. So he was excited. His niece was getting born and he had to bail out. So I just jumped in like two days before. I was like, all right, cool, I'm in. So I had to quit having sex and smoking weed for two days, which isn't exactly a dieta, isn't it? I think <laughs> ayahuasca prep. But that experience really changed everything for me. And I had good practitioners and, and I didn't probably didn't do good enough, really good research, but I trusted the people who, who I was, who was connected me to them. And, and with that, you know, I got a chance to feel what really deep unconditional love was. I got to ask a lot of questions. I got to understand what it meant to forgive for sins. I got to laugh at, at, um, at humanity as a whole. I saw some deep masculine darkness in my family and, and, and got to love through that, which was really interesting. And that shifted a lot for me. It really did. And it gave me to, to gave me a lot of comfort for there being more than just this life and this experience, which I was uh, still to this day, I'm extremely grateful for. And then that I'm, I'm cautious and I'm not really, um, I wouldn't say like reckless with my psychedelic use. I definitely have had sometimes not so much with any psilocybin mushrooms or, or just definitely not with ayahuasca, but like MDMA has been something that, that I have had the wheels have come off before and I did not enjoy that at all. I can say it's the only time I've ever had like a really truly bad experiences um, and traumatic experiences, but I, I've learned a lot about myself and I've had a lot of clarity through the use of particularly mushrooms. They're, they're my kind of go-to, go-to call them uncle mushroom. They just kind of <laughs> give me like, they give me wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're still, you're still definitely new in that psychedelic journey, obviously. Um, and that goes back to kind of the comparison thing that I brought up earlier of like, I have friends who will go hard on a crazy night and we'll all party and have a great time. And then at like six in the morning, they're like brunch time and they'll grab a bag of mushrooms and they'll just like do mushrooms at 6am in the morning. And we're just like, like, uh, we're good. (laughs) Like how? But there's always that part of me that's like, I want to fucking do mushrooms with you. Like, that'd be awesome. Yeah. But I know that that would be terrible for me. And every time they have such a good time, they're so hilarious. They go on their journeys and they like come find us like five hours later and they're all weird with it. And it's like at festivals and stuff. Or just like sure. hanging around house parties and festivals, <laughs> okay, okay. but like, yeah, like a New Year's party. But don't or something. you think okay, maybe yeah. their goal with the psychedelic is more about partying rather than yeah, for sure. But like yeah, cerebral, th- it just comes back to that like physical level. And what's been interesting is uh, Aubrey is so openly transparent about absolutely everything in his life. Like he is insanely transparent from from like what I see sent in like email articles and stuff he seems to like try to break things down but one of the things that's been interesting is like how deep he's gotten into psychedelics and Mm -hmm. whether or not like i've stopped following him so much lately that i like i couldn't tell you specifically about Mm -hmm. his journey but it's really interesting to see people who get into it and then it becomes like again that can of beans that i'm in that situation where it's like they keep coming back to it or coming to something new and it's like this opened my eyes once 
And when I came back to the real world, my eyes are shut. So I need this to open my eyes back up again. Um, and I think that's a scary position. And I think that's where psychedelics and other recreational drugs can get people very easily. Um, you get caught up in like, but I want to feel that way. And only when I'm that way, what is it? I think there's like a, a weekend song that's like, um, oh, I, I can't don't... feel my face when I'm with you. <laughs> that one, But I love it. Uh, <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was a different one. Um, but it was like, oh, yeah, it's when I'm fucked up, that's the real me. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, though, man. Psychedelics, it, once altering your consciousness becomes a part of your identity, you really need to check yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that that's something I've I've even been. I mean, that's I think the same thing with open relationships and psychedelics and any kind of alternative lifestyle that becomes a part of your identity. And then you find value in that or you, you get some um, value. It's a value display for you. Then that's that's just, that's that's the ego, man. That's 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 not um. I mean, I love talking about it, and I think it's fun. It, I don't think that it's, but it's not. It, I don't think it's a part of my identity as to who I am. I could I could also I could also not. I think it's a slippery slope, man. People do that, and it's that's a. It's like the people that go to Burning Man and don't ever leave, right? <laughs> it's like well, or people that blast off into the outer space and they don't come back. It's like you just find value in 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 having overly existential conversations for the sake that that makes you feel superior. So you did what you did is you found spiritual materialism through psychedelics and you're leveraging that to make yourself feel so (laughs) you're making yourself feel better Mm -hmm. and you're making yourself feel superior by something that was supposed to dissolve your ego. But here's the thing about your ego motherfucker. It's real sneaky. If you start to identify with something that's supposed to be an ego disillusioner, that's a, that's a word I just made up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well then you're, you painted yourself into a fucking corner and the only way you're going to get out is by getting, getting dirty mm-hmm. and that's the thing though man it's, it's an interesting situation because spiritual bypassing is a fucking thing yeah right like i can sit here and and also it's really easy to to pretend to be transparent you know I, all i have to do is say some things that other people wouldn't say and all of a sudden i'm transparent because you only hear what i'm saying to you yeah, yeah. you don't see what's going on in my fucking head yeah you know what i mean and there's and you're not having i'm not having a conversation with you in real life you can't see my eyes you don't see my life you know, so I think that the, I mean, it's it's a crazy world we live in with that. I think that somebody who did a great job was Michael Pollan with that book, yes. How to Change Your Mind. Because yes. he was super objective about it. He's like, I'm a 60-year-old dude with limited psychedelic experience. And here's what I think. And he almost treated it like he was talking about food. Right. You know, he was he was giving you an objective view of this is the, this is the scary parts of it. And this is the parts that, that may be unhealthy. And I saw a cardiologist first, you mm-hmm. know. And it's, it's, it's a... Psychedelics and particularly ayahuasca and things that give you social credibility. Because if I say I've done ayahuasca, everybody's ears perk up. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes that makes my ego go, oh yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> people are listening to me now. I love being I love being heard. I love that people see me. And then then you end up being. Well, let, me, let me just surround myself with people who want to listen to what I have to say. Yeah. And it's a fucking tricky thing. It's a tricky beast. Mushrooms, not so much. And I think MDMA, like, and even, if, for example, saying that I don't really enjoy, I don't take MDMA very often because of, I've had some bad experiences with it and those are patterned. Like, now I'm, that's hard for me to say and do because then I'm not one of the cool kids because the cool kids do the cool drugs. Ditto. I, <laughs> I feel you on that because I, I have not enjoyed it more times than I've enjoyed it, which yeah. is a bummer because yeah. I don't, I, I see other people who love it and they, talk all these great things and there's research showing that it's helping people but like 
just for whatever reason. It's not really, not really for me. What's your experience like with it? Like, what was it that wasn't? You know, I take very little amounts of whatever I take, like mm-hmm. very little. So if, if if a normal person takes a point, I take half a point. So that's my new practice. I do half of what everybody else does. Yeah, half with, of with with powders and and non non natural substances. Yeah. So and and for me, um, I'm just very sensitive, and so I'm. Let's say I don't take anything, but people around me are on things. I already am feeling a lot of what they're feeling and so then if i take something on top of it then it's just amplified and so the times that it's been fantastic um i think it's a combination of things like uh part of it is i am chronically dehydrated and so (laughs) i think dehydration is a big part of it i agree with you set and setting for me, um, that is like either I want to be at a house party with people that I love and we're all hanging out and connecting and there's music, or if I'm going to be at a festival, I'm going to be dancing. I don't want to go like off with people who are doing Adderall and Coke and go on their ADD adventures. Like <laughs> I want to dance. And so when you're at a festival experience where everybody's on different things and you're with a crew and some of the crew is on this level and some of the crew is on that level, I'm really susceptible to other people's levels and mm-hmm. to other people's stuff. And so that's where I'm just like, no, I just want to be here and move and dance. And then when I feel like, oh, I should go with these people so that I'm not by myself because a female by herself in any social situation is a sitting duck for creepers, unfortunately. And so I end up going along with wherever they're going. And uh, and that's when I start to get like anxieties and don't feel well and like get in my head. And it's just like it's not enjoyable. Um, so I think just set and setting like anything is, is really important. But I'm very vulnerable to that. Yeah, I think that's something to be noted, I like the way you said that, is that psychedelics open you up, mm-hmm. right? So mushrooms, right? They're, conne- they're, like a, they're a connector plant. So you think about mycelial networks under, under the earth, they're connecting life mm-hmm. to life. So a lot of times you take mushrooms and you're in a place and the energy and the vibe is I love mushrooms. where it's at. Yeah. Well, but if you're, I call it seeing zombies. If you take <laughs> mushrooms and you're at, a, at the club, you know, and you're having a good <laughs> time. Club. And you're out, and you're out at, you know, watching 21 Savage or some shit. And, you know, you all of a sudden start to notice that everybody there has kind of got a dark energy about them. Mm-hmm. Well, you're just plugged into that, right? And that's something that people don't, they don't bring that up. Like, hey, you know, we're going to do mushrooms and we need to be really mindful of who we're around because we're opening ourselves up to that. Ayahuasca without proper shamanism. We're shamans, same thing. You're cracking your soul open. Now, whatever's around you, whatever can sneak in through that through that pathway might, you know, and right. there's there's toxic people out there and there's toxic situations and, and there's kind of a group consciousness that can happen at certain places. And if you start to partake in that, you can have a really challenging experience. Mm-hmm. With MDMA, and they call MDMA a heart opener for a reason. And I've done MDMA ceremonies before, mm-hmm. uh, one, and I had I enjoyed that. Um. And that's, you know, 150 or one and a half points of, of MDMA, pure pharmaceutical grade MDMA. Uh, and in, in a ceremony where you're essentially asking yourself questions. So you get in deep with music for an hour and you ask yourself questions or you have a facilitator ask you questions that you've written down. Ooh, that sounds yeah. very and cool. I did it with my partner as we were going through a breakup. Uh, but the thing about it is 
I had had patterned some really negative experiences with MDMA before that. Mm. And that was, I don't do it very often again because I'd had really good experiences with it. I definitely grind my jaw too much. <laughs> like I'm one of those and I'll, and I'll kind of get to like, you know, you get really excited and you probably have done too much a few times, but you know, normal stuff. And now I can, as I've kind of grown up and I haven't done it, maybe I've probably done MDMA like 15 times, maybe like, so it's not a ton. I know people who do it often. Yeah. Um, and now I can, I'll do like half what everybody else does and I have a good time because I've noticed that I can, I, I'm, I feel, I feel a lot. I feel a lot more than I gave myself credit for, and I think that was weighing into me for sure. But I had two experiences that went really south with MDMA. Uh, one being um, a Halloween party where I took MDMA and GHB, hmm. and I'd never done GHB before. And I think that I have, I'm in this subset of populations that has like essentially has anxiety and panic attacks on GHB, which is there are people who have like super high anxiety and, and will have like literally have panic, panic attacks. I think it was like 7% of the test population, which no one ever talks about because GHB is pretty euphoric. And at the same time, my girlfriend at the time is like grinding on some dude mm. and I'm feeling like pressure to be in this like open relationship situation that I wasn't really feeling and I felt super insecure and it was like even just talking about it now, like it like pains me. It was one of the most it was one of the most traumatic experiences of my life, hands down. Mm. And that was on the heels of a ten day trip to Peru with some also super heart opening um, medicine or plant medicines, right? So completely opposite situations. This person I told I I loved her for the first time, like in the jungle, you know, two weeks before Halloween, right? So this is. A, a distinction and and you know couldn't be to be completely honest i was in a relationship with a narcissist right so it's like there's a lot that goes into that mm -hmm. um but that was a really challenging experience for me because inside i'm having a fucking panic attack and i'm on mdma and my heart's super open and i feel like i'm getting stabbed in the fucking soul yeah right so that happened and then um same relationship down the road this relationship was really challenging for me if you can't tell um <laughs> so my grandmother passed away and my grandmother raised me so uh, she, I knew she was, she had ALS for about a year before she passed away. She got diagnosed and I found out that she like, there's some stuff was going on with her lungs. My mom had called me that day and we were all supposed to go out that night and party and hang out. And my grandmother, I give her credit for like, teaching me how to love people. Like she just loved people so much, you know, she was probably an enabler, but she was just this kind hearted woman from, that came from nothing and just loved everyone so much. And uh, we were all supposed to go out that night and um, ended up taking MDMA. And I was like, you know, she would just want me to go out and have a good time with everybody and be with my friends. Same girlfriend. <laughs> God damn, this makes, like, makes me laugh to even think that I like, put up with this shit. Um, I remember she was the only one who knew that was going on. So I, had a, I knew my grandma was going to die that night. I just I could feel it. And I was like, she would just want me to do this. I can't get there in time. It was like 7 p.m. Like, I'm not going to, I wouldn't be able to make it home if I left right now. Let's go out and then I'll see what the situation is tomorrow. If there's a situation and I'll handle it. So, um, ended up like I'm upstairs crying. She in my house and she knows that she's the only one in my roommate, but you know, I didn't really share much with him at the time and we're getting ready. Cause I was like, I just kind of had my, I just wanted to be by myself, had my time, kind of dealt with myself. So, okay, cool. We're going to go to dinner now and we're getting dressed and I'm like putting my contacts in, in the, in the, in the bathroom and she was she was uh, getting dressed as well at my place. And I remember she looked at me and she was like, do you like my outfit? And I was like, just wasn't really paying attention. I wasn't really mean. I just was like not really there. And I was like, what? Like I just wasn't really paying. Like, I just wasn't present. 
And I was like, yeah, I guess. Like, I don't know. I just wasn't there. I'm like, my mom's dying. I don't give a fuck what you're wearing. Yeah. You could be wearing a clown suit for all I give a shit. Like, <laughs> this is not this is not your time right now. Right. Um, and she got so mad at me. I was like, dude, 45 minutes ago, I was like curled up in the fetal position crying on my bed. And you're going to talk to me about your skirt and your fucking, if you have your tits out enough. Like, get out of my face. Mm-hmm. And um, that night went so badly. So badly. So she and I, of course, like this is when egos get involved and you're on MDMA. We took some MDMA that night and we're at this club that's just such weird vibes. And um, but everybody loves it and bottle service and all this other bullshit. And I'm just I just want to feel good. Right. And she cannot like she cannot not have the attention. So if I get attention, she's like one ups me. And then I'm like, well, fuck this. I'm gonna one up you. And then I'm gonna get the fucking bottle service chick's number. And then I'm, he's like oh, super geez. douchey, right? Yeah. But I'm like, you know, whatever. And then we end up going to this after party, and then she's talking to this NFL player. And then I'm like about to kick this guy in the face, and it's just like too much. And this is not even my personality, right? Yeah. Like I'm a, I'm a chill dude. Anyways, I end up calling a friend of mine to come pick me up at like five in the morning. I'm like, I'm just fucking done with this. Cause oh no, I went outside and then she's like naked in the pool with these two other chicks. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, dude. Can can we just, can this not be about you for one time ever? I'm sorry I'm going like this t- total rant, but I've actually never <laughs> okay. told this story before. Yeah. Um, and then I fucking called a friend to like pick me up at like five in the morning. So I went home and then she gets back to the house at like 7.30 or 8, something like that. And, um, you know, you still kind of want to come down or still kind of rolling a little bit at that point because we took way too much MDMA. The most I've ever taken in my life. I've, that was like the night that really fucked everything up. And she was yelling at me about the bottle service girl texting me or something like that. It was something super stupid. And I was like, dude, you were so out of line last night. Like that was not even, that had nothing to do with anything. That's so, it wasn't even relevant, right? And she's like, well, where's your phone? And I was like, I don't know. It's in the bathroom. So I go and grab it. She's trying to like fight this phone out of my hands. And I'm like, this is, again, this isn't my personality. This isn't like, this doesn't happen in my life. Sounds like, like a movie. It sounds like a movie. And I look at my phone, I have like eight missed calls from my mom. Oh no. And then, so I call my mom back or call my, um, yeah, I call my mom's phone and my uncle answers the phone. And he's like, hey buddy. And I said, all I said was, is she gone? And he goes, yeah. And I said, okay, I'll call y'all back. And I just hung up the phone. And just immediately started bawling. It was like the craziest 12 hours of my life. Because like my mom died. You know, I say my mom, my grandmother was my mom, you know. Yeah. She raised me since I was five. I moved in with her when I was five. So she's just like this light of my life is, you know, just like gone now. And I was on all these drugs just trying to feel better. And I think that the thing was both of those experiences, I was having a really bad time. And I was trying to use ecstasy to make myself feel better Mm -hmm. and it ended so poorly so ever since then if i even like taste it or have it around me like i feel anxious like i just get this anxiety like almost like i want to have a connected to those sensations for you and when you're talking about it just like the surface level the idea of being at a party or an after party and your hot girlfriend is in a pool naked with two other chicks and you're on mdma like to most people, that sounds like a great combination. But if you already have challenges within your relationship, which mm-hmm. you did, and then you had these things in your back of your mind and your heart that you're worried about, like it, that's where the set and the setting is so important because you could just look at these little key components and be like, what? That sounds like a great night. And you're like, no, it wasn't a great yeah. night. And I didn't want to see her in a pool with those chicks. And yeah, it's just, yeah. it's easy to, to, like you said, be quote unquote transparent about your life 
to the degree that you want it to be and to the degree that other people uh, take it in and then they look up to you or they're like, oh, wow, that was such an interesting thing or, oh, I want to be in an open relationship or, oh, I want to go do MDMA because they're only seeing the highlights or they're only hearing the lessons or challenges that you learned because that's what you're serving up on the platter and not because they were like there and really saw the rawness of it or the tears or the mm-hmm. phone call with your uncle like all of that is like i don't know oh yeah dude it's intense it, it gets it gets a lot and that's the thing too like you live in when you get the chance to live in a life that everybody's envious of and you're the most unhappy you've ever been shit gets real you know <laughs> real when you're quick. like it's like it's it's like oh yeah you got this and you got that and it's like i i don't even know how i got here but i and what i do know is that i asked for all of this and i fucking got it and i'm miserable and like after that after that experience like i'll tell you i mean shit i haven't even said this on a podcast before either y'all are getting the exclusives over here <laughs> so i had um i remember after that whole experience and then actually that same girlfriend broke up with me on the same day of the fu- as the funeral we honestly got back together that's how deep i was into this like i put up with all that and then got back with her like several months later mm-hmm. um and look saying that now like it's fucking crazy i'm like how who was that guy and during that experience I remember i had no i felt like all my friends i mean i don't i didn't feel like all my friends abandoned me like all my like my tribe my like community fucking nowhere to be seen nowhere it's like it was super fucked. It was it was it was one of the darkest times of my life, and I felt so alone. And from that, I had no choice but to understand what I what I valued about myself. And when I started to understand what I valued about myself, I could I could share that with people, and I could bring that to people. And then I got fired a week later, and then I got fired because of my podcast. And then um, wait, wait, wait! Elaborate. No, I mean, it was, why did you get fired? Because he's of like safe word, safe word. Yeah, now you want a safe word? No, uh, no, I don't mind. Uh, okay. So it was just it was a super crazy time, and the podcast was catching um, was catching some. Tra- it wasn't launched yet, but it was taking a lot of my time from work, and it just wasn't it wasn't resonating with what needed to be hmm. needed to be done at, at work. So, um, but I still had the podcast, and and I had a pretty good setup with it. So. Uh, I launched the podcast like a month later from like the some of the, like the like the darkest place in my life and pulled that shit together. Actually, yeah, it was about a month later. I put it all together and I was like, when I wasn't doing it, I felt like I had a, I had a pistol in my storage unit, right? Actually, my I gave it to my stepdad. Now and I had this Glock that I bought when I was like, a few years ago because it's Texas and we just have guns laying around random places. Um, and I wouldn't go to my storage unit to get it out. Or to get anything out because I knew where it was and I'd be like, oh, I can grab this. I, I like didn't want it laying around my house. Mm-hmm. I wasn't gonna have like something that was that accessible to me. Like that's how much I was. That's the place I was in when I launched like the thing that now gives me like the coolest life that I could ever want and is building and becoming more and more incredible. Mm-hmm. Came from literally like thinking about suicide more than I could have ever like felt comfortable about because I had, had no connection and the connection that I had was fucking bullshit. And then I finally got a chance to leave it all. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> so, so the world that you're like envisioning for yourself two years ago kind of like crumbles in front of you. Now, is that 
to bring it back to the Instagram world or people that you look up to, was, mm-hmm. was that part of it? Was there was there kind of a, a person that you were looking up to or a, a set of individuals that you were like, that's the life I want? And then you get that life and you're like, yeah, that's really not what I wanted. Yeah, dude. I mean, I especially when it comes to open relationships, you know, and the way that I wanted that in my life, like there was so much about what I had perceived to be reality. I was just super naive. You know, I put this on myself. Like, I, I don't want to ever blame someone else for not being what I expected them to be. That's not fair. You know, that that's that's me looking at something to escape myself. And and that's I don't think I had a I didn't know, I didn't have enough context to know that at the time. Um, but going into going into experience where I get to I get to meet and spend time with a lot of people that I looked up to. And the beautiful part of that is that I got to realize like these guys aren't that much different than me. You know, that's one thing that I love. Uh, a friend of mine that passed away, uh, Chris Moore, he was with the Barbell Shrugged crew. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that podcast. Like one mm-hmm. of the first like CrossFit podcasts that got big and buddy Mike Bledsoe and Doug Larson, like uh, they were all part of this podcast. And I remember they, they loved me and they, they still do. We're still all close. And Chris unfortunately passed away uh, a few years ago, but I got to sit around a table with these guys. And it was a time where I realized like these people all cared about me and respected what I had to say. And I looked up to all of them, like, but I, they, they, that was, that was such an amazing experience. And the more time I got to spend up, spend with these people who everybody that loves podcasts knows these people are right. They're just people that have done something and are, and are, they're great people, but they're just fucking people. And your pain becomes your passion. Then you got to think about that. Like, look at this. Like there's a reason I talk about connection and self love and not taking yourself seriously. It's because that shit doesn't come easy for me. Like I literally have a love tattoo on my forearm where everyone can see it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not doing that because that shit came easy to me. Right. I don't get a tattoo that's like being tall. Like that shit just <laughs> happened. Right? <laughs> just reach high. But it's um but it's it's something to to be yeah, it was a huge part of it. It was a huge part of it because I had to accept that I was wrong. And that's the thing, it wasn't anybody else's fault. I was just wrong. And and that was that's hard. It's hard to accept like that, you know, feeling feeling wrong feels just like being right until you realize that you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> And then most of the time you can just like push that in the, into the fucking, into the like junk drawer of your mind. Like, oh no, I'll, I'll do that later. I'll do that later. And then you take fucking mushrooms at just a festival say, and then it all fucking comes out. Yeah. That's one of the things is psychedelics seem to bring that out. And it, it also allows people to see that they might be wrong. Yeah. That, that seems to be one of the, the shining lights of psychedelics is allowing people to reanalyze the world that they're in and be like, oh, wait, I'm looking at this all wrong and kind of flip everything on its head. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's I think, a super helpful tool. But again, like we said, it can obviously be used in negative ways and it can be kind of overused by certain individuals. It can be shined on as being some amazing cure-all to everything and then ends up getting people into a worse situation. Yeah. Um, so where do you see yourself taking this all now if you had your whole world uprooted and you kind of got rid of a bunch of different stuff and now you're you're traveling how do you plan to recreate your tribe yeah well that's that's a great question man i appreciate you asking that and it it's funny because i'm not trying to recreate it i'm trying i'm trying to see and, and surrender to what's around me i um I'm trying. I'm also just allowing myself to accept 
what is, you know, and not feeling so ashamed of myself or embarrassed for, for, and I didn't realize that was there. Like that's one thing with uprooting and changing so much is like, like this morning in my journaling practice, I, I had to just come to terms with the fact that I felt jealousy towards some people. And it was funny because I didn't think, or I even, <laughs> I knew that I wasn't jealous of people. Like I intellectually knew it, but I didn't believe it and I didn't feel that way. And I started to feel things that I was like, I don't think I was ready to feel this until just now. Now I have to accept the fact that I'm jealous of some people and I'm comparing myself to people on fucking Instagram. You know, it like does, doesn't make any sense. So it's unpacking little things like that and then letting it go and creating space. And then when I feel a, a sense of, one of the reasons I'm bouncing around so much is when I feel a source of, or sense of resonance with people that I can, I can feel like I, I, I'm worthy of that kind of connection and it doesn't have as much since I've seen my heroes become human. Right. And, and it, it allows me to not have to reach up. I'm not, I, I, I think I was an upreacher at some points. Like I would, I would just always want to reach up another rung to another higher status person. And, and then you get up there and it's like playing Donkey Kong and it's like, Oh, it's just the same level as down there. It just looks a little different. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like, I actually don't give a fuck about all that. You know, yeah. you know, I, I, I get to, I, I get to, this is a, I'm blessed. I'm, I'm really, I really feel like I'm extremely grateful for the fact that I got to see a lot of different types of people in a lot of different places that, that everyone admires or not everyone, but a lot of people admire and got to humanize some of these incredible figures. And that allows me to have, be so much more present in connection. And as I, as I build a tribe, I'm, I'm more or less creating space for people to kind of fall into my life. Mm-hmm. And that's really how it happens, man. It's like, it's, it's a surrender. It's a surrender to what is versus trying, trying to make something happen. You know, I've, I've, I've tried to smash a square peg in a round hole for a long time and I've been really good at it cause I'm strong and I can't do that, <laughs> but it's like, it's definitely not optimal, you know? Yeah. So as I like, even things like I was moving to LA or trying to move to LA and it just wasn't really happening. And then a friend of mine has a room open up in a house in Encinitas and I get super challenged by Encinitas because there's a lot of really feminine men there and I kind of stand out and I'm, you know, kind of bro and everybody does landmark forum and they talk the same way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> you know, it's kind of this funny, this funny world. And I'm like, okay, that's a good challenge for me. I can lean into that because that feels, it feels right. And dialing in my intuition when I meet someone and, and what do I need to, what do I want to learn next? What do I want to explore next? And understanding that I lack discipline in some areas and being, being, almost hard on myself because that's something I can really walk around if I don't, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful for that really, you know, I've got to really, really be objective because I'm putting myself out here. And that's one of the cool things about a podcast is it forces you to literally put yourself out there and it puts you in a situation where you do get to talk to some of your mentors and you do realize that they're human as well. And then sometimes like you now, you get to be on the flip side of it where you're being interviewed and you get to air some dirty laundry that you've never aired before. And you realize (laughs) like in some way, podcasting is becoming like our own therapy sessions. It's allowing us to discuss something with someone else on a long-term basis with no rules or parameters around what's going on Mm -hmm. and allows you to kind of analyze the things that you're saying and why you're acting the way you act in almost real time, which is really cool because you, you start to look at different situations on how you react to them and you're like, Oh wait, I'm not 
leading with compassion or I'm not leading with love. Like that you can, that's why I said, come back to the research thing. I've done the research. I've listened to the podcast. (laughs) I've read the books. I know how to do all these things, the power of now. But then you're like, Oh wait, shit. Like that's not happening in my day to day life. Mm -hmm. And in order to really enact that, I guess to be superficial and bring it back to myself, like to come back to that, I need that workout practice. I need that physical thing to Mm -hmm. like bring it all around. And it's interesting what individuals need to kind of, fit the different pieces of the puzzle together to be like, okay, now this makes sense when I look back on the ways that I was in the past. Yeah. Well, and you get, and you've got to put it into practice in your real life too, to see if it makes sense. Cause yeah. you can hyper rationalize it and have a shit ton of confirmation bias and make <laughs> things make sense if you want to. But it's like, can you plug it? Can you, can you put, cause it fit the puzzle, like the puzzle of life. Cause is that, is that like feel yeah. Like, it, like it's right. Is that, is that great? I think almost like when it fits in the puzzle, it's this grounding feeling. Yeah. And I, I think that's one thing that I've, I don't think I feel, I feel like that's one thing that I have noticed in the past year or so is how ungrounded I was and just spinning in circles, trying to, to accommodate everybody else's feelings, but my own mm-hmm. and feeling my, my feelings weren't justified or weren't even, weren't even rational. Um, and then getting to understand what grounding is and what grounding people are and, and how I can, like you were talking about earlier, like feeling people around you, accepting, accepting that I can feel people around me. And that's, that's a, that's a sweet gift. And that's something that takes work to develop just like empathy. But, but there's, there's, there's room for it. And there's capacity for it. And it's really cool. But yeah, does it fit? Does it, does the actual practice fit in your life? putting things into practice because there's so much information, you know, in, in the lifestyle design program, that's what I tell people is one of the most valuable things is I've been through a lot of information so I can give you inform- I can, I can basically point you in the right direction with information and give you practices and tools because I've seen how there's just so much you can learn and think you, that, you know, but, but what can you do? You know, you got to make habits, <laughs> exactly. You make thing a daily habit. When are you, I guess I'm going to phrase this differently. Are you going to go through a yoga training? Uh, am I? I don't, I don't see why not. It's something that, it seems like fun. It seems like I would learn a lot about myself. I started it. to phrase it with, when are you going through? And then I'm like, <laughs> that's me. I'm doing my thing again, so I'm not going to do that. But yeah, I think that you have a lot of yogic values already. And um just the search that you're on and doing well of connection. I mean, that's really what it's all about. And um, you said you've been drawn more and more to yoga classes as of lately. And it, um, I know that that's fairly limited on what you can actually get out of a yoga class, especially in a studio or a gym or the 60 minute, you know, chaturanga world. So um, I would just encourage you to start looking on that teaching path. You don't have to be a yoga teacher, but to go through something like that, I think it would really add to the equation of everything that you're doing. Yeah. Drew said the same thing. Drew, our our mutual friend, Drew from Impact Strength Conditioning. Yeah. But he's uh the same thing. I think. I think he was when he said it, and then I talked. I talked to you about it. It was like, mm-hmm. okay, that's 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 coming up, right? It was like I would because normally I'd been like, no, nah, that's not my thing. Mm-hmm. But I created a little more openness, and I'm like, maybe right. it is. And then and then and then it'd be like, like essentially, one of my coaches would, um, Dan. His name's Dan from Mind Tribes. He's a super awesome guy. Shout out to Dan. But he talked about creating a possibility. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'll, I'll create a possibility for that and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, and just try to open up the idea of what that entails, because again, like. I, when I'm talking about yoga, I'm not talking about warrior two in a hundred degree studio with a bunch of chicks around. Like 
I'm Wait, talking what? about. No, I'm out I know. There. I, I know, right? <laughs> no, I'm talking about like all the stuff you've been talking about for the last hour. Like yeah. all of it is all about this path. And um, so I think you would really be interested in the yogic philosophies that come along with it. And so if when you do start to look into it, let's chat because I, I, I want to make sure to point you in a direction of one that's not overly um, physical because you already have the physical stuff yeah. dialed in and it, that is more on the philosophical and the life path and um, dare I say spiritual side. Um, uh, I love the, that yeah. somebody called me out, um, when I was in Toronto, the friend that I was staying with, she was like, you're not, you're not on a spiritual path. And I was like, excuse the fuck out of me. Oh, <laughs> like, and like it's for her like, to decide yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Yeah. I think there was, there was definitely some, there was some things at play there. We definitely yeah. we went, we, we went back and forth, but That's, it was just that I wasn't, Definitely was lacking some discipline in my in meditation practice and things like that. And that's fine. But unless she had like a, a badge that said I'm in charge of deciding <laughs> yeah, your spirituality, I'd tell her to fuck off. Yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> it was funny. It was really funny. And she was like, it was, well, I didn't, I didn't tell her to fuck off. I, I was like, okay, cool. Maybe there's, there's definitely some truth in that. Yeah. So I'll take that and that's that's fine. And then um, it was it was really funny is that I feel like I've gotten a chance to do some, some good shadow work. She she's, considers herself a light worker, right? Okay. And I don't know what the fuck that even really means. It seems like some cute phrase that people put out there, but light worker nonetheless. And I was like, what does it mean to be a light worker? And she was talking about light, light work, you know, like bringing light to people and then mm-hmm. through spirit, through a spiritual practice. And she's really fucking good at it. But I'm also really fucking good at challenging people's ideas. So I was like, well, what's the role of the shadow in light work? And she starts talking about how doing shadow work is just a way to get more light into the world. And I was like, oh, okay, I've got you now. <laughs> I was like, I don't really think that's right. I think that the shadow is equally important as the light. So you're saying light is good and shadow is bad and dark is bad. She's like, yeah. I'm like, mm, you're not a light worker. I was like, have you, have you done any shadow work? And she was like, yeah, I challenge my shadow all the time. And I'm like, oh, yours. Well, what about like the what about the the shadow of the shadow of existence and the shadow of consciousness and and, and utter darkness of of your your ancestral lineage, like there's some shit out there that you can get into. Like a woman that I work with named Rhonda Smith, and she hosts this podcast called Cosmic Smith Radio, and I I feel for her, man. She comes from a place of addiction and is is deep in in the medicine and deep in the spiritual work, and she, her her work is shadow work. She has seen some dark shit and that's just that's that's her role that's she and she's fully fucking mm-hmm. accepted it and you can tell sometimes and here's how i know like someone like paul selig who's a channel i think i'm like i didn't believe in channels until i met this guy and women like like Rhonda, it's like they don't even really want to do it that bad it's just it's there and they're they it's like they feel a responsibility it's to do their it. path yeah and and they feel like that's their way of service and it's kind of cumbersome and it definitely sucks but I can tell when she talks about shadow work that she's like, it's like, I feel like it's like, um, it's like an MMA fighter, like cutting weight. It's like this, oh, fuck, I gotta fucking do that thing. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, but that's how she serves the world. And I feel like there's a lot of light in, in understanding the shadows because they just, they just exist together. And that's this manifestation of reality is like it. It's both, and and we can't. There isn't this this utopian light society that this is gonna be. You yeah. know that that's not what this is. Go to fucking Avatar had shadows somewhere. Yeah. Your shadow's not going anywhere. Yeah. You might as well make peace with it and oh, no, have man, some love for it. Yeah, it's it's in in with people that are privileged, 
and I'd say 99 per, like the the one percent they say like that's a lot of us. We're all extremely privileged. Very and much it's so. easy to be a light worker for privileged people. Mm-hmm. If someone if someone can pay you hundreds of dollars an hour to be a light worker for them, like it's really easy to be in the light. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I said. But you've got like, like this dark side, and the scary thing about the dark side is that like it can pull you under. Mm. If all you do is work in the dark and you work on the dark of other people and you work in the darkness of the world, there's a high propensity to get pulled into the dark. And so like that's a much scarier world to be in and a much harder and more challenging. Dude, it's and it's intoxicating. It's intoxicating mm. as fuck, man. Have you seen have you guys seen uh, True Blood? Y'all watched that HBO show? No. About vampires. Oh, I'm trying to think of a good example. <laughs> um but you get into that like vampire feeling, right? Like powerful. Yeah. And it's like it's like dark. It's like dark magic, right? For sure. It's like fully, but really strong and like almost like manipulative. You know, the first time I did a five gram, a uh, ground. So grinding the mushrooms into powder first, five Heroes gram does. mushroom chip. Yeah, I mean, I did. I've done seven before, just eating them, chewed them, and it was good. It was a great time. I sat in a ha- laid in a hammock under the stars. It was, See, you're a big dude. I can't fucking do that. I don't know. I think I don't know if it's that what it is. I don't know. I think I may have had. It just depends on. The, I don't think those mushrooms are very good either. Okay. But these were five grams of like good mushrooms and i remember you know the process with mushrooms right it's like you get a little gut feeling and then a little bit of a body high and it's like this 45 minute process we drank this with a green juice with a lot of lemon in it you know we had smudged we got really intentional had, had dieted that day just a little bit of greens nice. like not eating a bunch of food and i remember looking at kyle who was running he was facilitating for us and it was nice having a facilitator as well even though i was I'm experienced with mushrooms in particular I knew I wasn't alone if I could, you know, I could be in there. And I remember all that 45 minute process or hour long process that usually happens with mushrooms happened in 15 minutes. And I was like, oh, this is going, this is happening fast. And then I was in it. And I felt like I had these crazy, it was actually right after that same breakup. So it was the weekend after the MDMA ceremony, the one that I had done, which was Uh really actually beneficial. We can go back to that if you guys want. That's a really cool practice. But I felt like about halfway through this thing, I was fully embodied by my shadow. Like my shadow had taken over my whole body and I got to in- interact with myself as my shadow, like living as my shadow. And it was so funny. His, I'm in this big, beautiful house in Westlake, Texas, and I'm on a balance beam. Like there was like a training balance beam in the room we were in. Like a it, high beam or? A, no, it was oh, a training one. So it was like a little one. It was like, <laughs> it was like for a, it was, no, it was, yeah, that was not okay. I was definitely falling off of it, but I was like just playing on it, like looking outside this big glass window. And I was just able to have these, almost like have this inner dialogue with my shadow and just like talk to myself as almost like, you know, like Venom and the Spider-Man where you're like, there's like a two, play, mm-hmm. there's like two players. So like there's Venom and then there's Spider-Man. They both have like a dialogue, but they're in the same body. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like that. And man, that was one of the most beneficial experiences of my life. I had so many profound takeaways from that. It was wild. And I, I don't honestly don't think I've been the same since. That was one of the super transformative experience for me. I wonder if you would be able to, if your ulcerative colitis would be able to get past the gut phase of it, if you if you had it in a structured, guided For environment. Sure. That's the big thing is just utter, just nausea. Yeah, I get it's this so just bad. like insane nausea that will not leave. Have you ever had like a had it powdered though? Yeah, really. Dude. Yeah, I've mm. done I've done I've tried different things. I've tried tea, um, and I've I've only had I don't know probably like four experiences with mushrooms mm-hmm. um i've had my my profound experiences came with lsd 
So that for me just like took me on a journey and that opened up everything for me. Um, But like each time I've done mushrooms has been an extreme challenge. Yeah. And a very difficult situation for me. And so that's always kind of rough to, to unpack that mostly because mushrooms, like you said, that 45 minute come up experience, it starts with a little bit of like gut nausea. Uh-huh. Sometimes you puke and you kind of get rid of it. And so that it's almost, I know it's a lot bigger than that, but sometimes just that knowing that like, Ooh, I'm going to feel shitty. And then I feel super shitty. And then that shitty feeling never goes away yeah. and I'm tripping and I feel like shit. And I like, it, you just get stuck in this hyperloop of your brain. So definitely that's been one of my big challenges is like, how do I attempt a psychedelic in a place where my body's not going to feel awful? Uh, I think I got a solution for you. They make uh, psilocybin extract now drops. Hmm. There you go. Problem like solved. under the tongue drops. Mm-hmm. Oh. You just put them on your tongue. Yeah. Whatever you want to do. Interesting. Cause when we've done uh, cannabis edibles, the, that, form is actually a lot easier on your stomach mm-hmm. than than edibles interesting yeah because yeah, i was thinking even like but it would be hard you would have to eat a lot of chocolate to get to five grams even yeah. powdered yeah because then it might digest slower and it's a fat soluble so that would be i'm trying to yeah. think if you had like I think a, a lot of it's just mental too i think well, once it hurts and you, you already have that pattern like mm-hmm. shit my guts that's wh- my getting big whacked thing. out then you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to relax so i, I mean i it's a crutch. I say yeah. it all the time. I haven't gone 12 years without my stomach hurting. Not a single day of my life have That's I had so my stomach doesn't hurt. And so it's like my brain has used that as a crutch now and it always comes back. And I keep mm-hmm. telling myself this story over and over and over again that my stomach fucking hurts. Therefore, I can't do X, Y, Z. So Damn. I think that keeps coming up with the the psychedelics because I've had these super dark intimate experiences where I feel like dying and I am deep in a psychedelic and that just like, like burrows its way into your psyche. Yeah. Yeah. So what I guess ayahuasca would be, I don't know. I think it's brutal. It yeah, it's brutal. brutal. I mean, but you need a better experience than what you had. Yeah. Your experience is kind of wild. But yeah, so I guess what's interesting enough is to go to the light and dark. Like we were working with a dark shaman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were working with a shaman that was in the dark, but that had been pulled down that dark hole yeah. and was deep in it and couldn't pull himself out. He was like the bane. He was like, I'm just going to keep making Batman references, but he's like the bane, of, the bane of shaman. Yeah. But you just have I the contrast with the M- mold in my... <laughs> You have the contrast with the MDMA. So we, yeah. have, Connor and I both have had like I've, dark, challenging times with that. And you've never. Yeah. Like never. I mean, I, I've had like one experience with actual ecstasy where like I ended up puking like later. It was probably meth, bro. Yeah, it, it was. Oh, it was. I, I guarantee it's casual, it was. You just yeah. casual meth. You're breaking bad. You're it was breaking like, bad ecstasy. Yeah. And it was like, I think it was like the third time I had ever done it or something like that. Yeah. It was not ideal. But no, like MDMA never had a bad experience. I went to the hospital and got stitches on ecstasy, and I had a great time. <laughs> spring, spring break 2009, son. What's up? Not recommended for our no, audience. We also got pulled over on the way there, too. Oh, Damn. Yeah, it was my second time ever doing it. Yeah. But like, yeah, yeah, for me, like, that's, it's, it's, that, that heart opening is so easy for me. Like, when mm. I, when I do any, when I drink, when I do anything, like, I just immediately have this heart opening, mind expansive, like, everything opens up and makes sense. You just love everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so for me, like psychedelics mm-hmm. are fantastic. Like, I've I've gone nine or it was eight hits of liquid acid deep one time, and it, it was one of the greatest things of all time. Like, 
That's a lot of acid, dude. It was a lot of acid, and it was, but it was, it was so profoundly eye-opening, and mm-hmm. it fundamentally changed who I was as an individual. And at no point during that was it like an "oh shit." It was like I'm surrounded by the greatest people I know, doing the greatest thing I could ever want to do. Like everything was perfect. And it was that yeah. set and setting, but it was also like pre having a bad experience Mm -hmm. and then it was like then once i've had this bad experience and ever since then has been this difficult like i've i've had an experience on acid uh where i had a colitis attack while i was on acid and i literally was sitting in a bathtub running hot water over myself for an hour just like crying like in purgatory (laughs) and it's like so i've had these like extreme opposite ends of things i don't know it's tough I think you need to you need to go you need to go man you know what needs to happen I think not that I'm, if I was if I was going to pr- prescribe you some kind of experience I would say since you have so much psychedelic experience and you want to like go of some shit is go to the jungle and do ayahuasca dude because well, because I think there's there's some physical stuff there too not that it's going to cure your physical ailments I don't know I think people, people make those claims so that's what I expected so that's why we went to yeah, but you, you Peru yeah, and you got did ayahuasca, <laughs> and I got fucked. I got fucked for sure. I'm but totally I'm actually totally down to do it again. So I the conversation it would be a long we time, had had yeah. was, was that one thing that I am super interested to get back to the light and dark thing is San Pedro, San Pedro because yeah. San Pedro is supposed to be the light side, and ayahuasca is supposed to be the dark side. Like Mother Aya dabbles in the darkness world. That yeah. is that is her thing. She is the vines that creeps inside of your body and your world mm-hmm. and your existence, and like pulls out the yeah. gnarly shit and just slaps it in your face and says look at this yeah but then i hear experiences of other people with san pedro that's very much more of this light happy fun experience and i know it's not yeah. that easy trust me i understand psychedelics I mean, enough but like uh watch watch uh watchuma or watchuma uh-huh. i love saying that and san pedro same thing <laughs> yeah. same it's both the same cactus same pedro cactus and it is easy it's really fun yeah. It's beautiful. It's the most. It's one of the most beautiful experiences ever. But I will tell you that not many people do it right. Yeah. Like you got. It's really hard to find. Like Don Howard at Spirit Quest is one of the last great Wachuma practitioners, and, but I did see. You know, my heart like a swirling white, black like light beam. I'm not beam, but just like this pool of white light like circling in my chest, and I could push it out of my hands into the altar and then get a different colored light back and have an energetic exchange with an altar that had human skulls on it. Wow. <laughs> like it's definitely a cool experience. Dude. It, yeah. was, it was wild and transformative. And you know, I got, had my Jaguar experiences and then did Vilco, which is a, a bean pod right after this. You take nasally mm-hmm. and it's uh NN DMT, 5-MeO DMT and Bufotenine. And also, you could do that because it's in your nose, yeah. but it feels like someone's slamming you in the face with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> and you do it. The one we did was through a through a shaman's finger bone, oh. so it's like a thousand year old uh, finger bone of a shaman with a hole drilled in it, and you That's put the dope, you put the though. ball and socket right in your nose hole. And take yeah. one back, go to the other side, and try just do it as many times as you can to fill your whole face full of powder. It's like <laughs> snorting dirt that burns. Um, and then you go lay down for an hour. And it was a it was a wild experience. But there's there's definitely there's there's DMT derivatives out there. But having a really, I think having a, a strong ayahuasca experience just because there's, I've seen I've just heard of people having that kind of 
almost like a gut experience, like a snake crawling through their body, like mm-hmm. eating the mm-hmm. eating the eating the darkness or eating the kind of gunk. And then just I've heard I've heard the stories of a snake going through someone's whole intestines, right? Like an anaconda. That's what they said, and it was just they could feel it going through their whole body, and they vomited it up. Mm-hmm. Now mine like was swam out I of had their face. it ripped out of me, so oh, I really? had I had it crawl in and then ripped out of my low abdomen. That's awesome. Very, very what, was, what, ripped, what ripped it out? Um, the uh, what was her name? Do you remember her name? The one that led the the um the ceremony oh, the night before oh yeah the uh the, or right uh, before it the sweat lodge oh the Tesma- yeah. yeah the sweat lodge the, the mother of the local tribe it was like a mother and her three sons that did the ceremony she it led was the, so cool she Whoa. she led the sweat lodge and she came to me in the aya experience and was like basically like chanting and summoning and then the vines basically i guess it was vines it was more serpent like than vines that uh, i don't know it was a mixture of vine slash serpent it was like kind of encompassing and then somehow invading and then pulling out a fetus out of me yeah it was whoa very graphic that's intense (laughs) it's very all right It was very oh. traumatic. It was not a. It was not an enjoyable experience that first night. The second night was great, or the second um, ceremony was really good. But the first one was like dark. Yeah, very dark and very traumatic and not enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 effective. But yeah, but effective. It was well in Peru. They call it the Iowa Aya the mother, and then San Pedro or Washuma the father. Mm-hmm. But they are way. They're so different. And then yeah, there's some. I mean, I saw, yeah, I saw this dark entity that was like, I have, I have you and your brother and your dad and so many people you don't, there's so many, he's like so many, so many of you. I don't know, there's something weird like that. I can't, I don't, I can't speak. It was just not, it's not English. I just, I can mm-hmm. hear, you can hear what they're saying. Yeah. You know, like, like they're talking, they're communicating with it's you. It's like Harry Potter and they're speaking in whatever the so similar snake language. Yeah. There's so many movies that are just Well, like, she definitely helps with my mommy issues. So now I have to do San Pedro for all my daddy issues because there's <laughs> yeah. like layers and layers of I actually had some of that. I had some of that issues. for sure. Yeah. Some of the daddy issue stuff got cleared. I don't, yeah. I want to say I don't have daddy issues, but I think I probably do. I don't know that anybody doesn't yeah. i mean who yes. had like the i don't know everyone ever even when i met jordan like he looked at my life and he's like damn like your your life was a shit show like how did you end up the way you, <laughs> but like and then i look back at him i'm like i hate to break it to you but so is yours like everybody has a lot of yeah, challenges in we their get, upbringings we get, we get behind the eight ball a lot in our families mm-hmm. for sure that's a crazy thing too families are, family dynamics are a fucking trip I don't understand it sometimes. And then I see people have like a normal family and I'm like, you think like, they do. They don't. There's yeah, something back to that comparison. Where's where where it at? Where's There's the, where's something the in there. At? Guaranteed. Do you yeah. want to have a family? Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I'm I just going to fuck your kids up. <laughs> they'll be fine. They'll be fine. I think, I, I think I'd be, no, I think there's, we have more information now. Yeah. And also like, I think it's one of the, I think I'm not, I'm not a parent, but I can imagine that, It'd be really important to understand that you don't know everything yes. and you shouldn't pretend like you do because yes. your kids are going to think that you know everything. So you should be okay saying, I don't know, and asking them questions and learning what they think. Exactly. I, and I that, can't imagine when, people, when parents argue with their kids, I'm like, 
what are you doing? Yeah, that's a generational <laughs> thing. And so that's where I think we have made a lot of improvements and advancements because back in the day, our parents didn't think that way. It was a very like, this is how I was raised. Therefore, this is how you're going to be raised. And there wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of logic behind it. And um, I know that myself as a parent, it can probably looked at as like maybe a little too lenient or a little too easy or open. But I have a fantastic relationship with my kids because I don't... I don't know everything and I don't try to pretend that I do. And I want to work as a team to make this family dynamic awesome and to help grow them into great people. They, they're they a lot more educated on who they are and where they should go than, than I am. Like I'm not living in yeah. their brains or their bodies. Like I want their input. I want to make it – obviously I'm not going to give them – free reign but i will always have choices and options and and if one of the choices or options doesn't resonate with them like i'm open to a new choice or option but like (laughs) we got to talk about shit and yeah and even talking about all of this like that's been really interesting now having teenagers especially in the age of uh, marijuana being legal Mm -hmm. because back in the day i didn't talk to my parents about anything i hid everything every drug i did every sip of alcohol was hidden and the amount of times i put myself and other people in huge amounts of danger because i did not have a trusting open communicative household it's fucking frightening and so with my kids it's the polar opposite right weed is legal so that's uh even though it's not legal for them yeah obviously it's just like alcohol but it's a lot easier thing to talk about with them and for them to know that we smoke weed here and there or to talk about drinking you know their dad's an addict so that's always a topic with us and then now to talk to them about recreational drugs like it's it's pretty cool and i don't i don't know i think that's evolving a lot drugs are no longer all i mean they are still but uh they're not necessarily graded as you know one two three here's your hard drugs and your kind of hard drugs but they're all totally illegal no excuses everything's totally out there it's like well weed is now legal if you're a certain age and then they're doing mdma therapy they're doing Mm -hmm. mushrooms and lsd psychotherapy like they're working through these things and so it's no longer this stigma of like that is bad if you do it you will die or you will go to hell or both and your and that's free information my kids are internet savvy and so they read those articles just like i do and so there's not this like dare to keep kids off drug mantra like (laughs) that i grew up with where if you did those things you were a burnout or um you were a druggie or a criminal and I love that that whole conversation is changing a lot mm-hmm. and that they can listen to this podcast and hear your experiences or my experience. And then that creates dialogue at the dinner table for us. That is something that I didn't grow up with. And, and I think that's part of why we can look back and say, yeah, everybody's got mommy issues or daddy issues. But I think that can change because parenting is changing and the way we look at what is bad, what is good, what is light, what is dark, like all of that is evolving. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can I can say that ayahuasca and psychedelics as a whole, but ayahuasca helped me with my relationship with my mom nice. tremendously. Um, and mushrooms really too. It's like she just, yeah, she, um, she we had a really rough relationship until about a year ago. But she, and then she also thought, she, I was very open about my psychedelic use and she would get super she's an addict right so she her like drugs are bad straight up and 
until recently, and she's seen like a lot. I but I had to think about it is when you're an advocate for anything, you've got to be your own example, right? If you're if you're pushing things on people, if you're being condescending, if you're whatever belittling other people's beliefs, like then of course no one's gonna fucking listen to you. It's like okay, let me let me see if I can be really present and grounded for my family. <laughs> let me get there. It took me years to get there, but it's like let me try and be that way, and then maybe I can hear them, and maybe they can hear me, and that's helped a ton. But I would I would have loved to have had those conversations early on because I mean yeah I'm 31 and I've just gotten to be able to talk to my mom about her addiction, you know, and I've wanted that for years just to help her, just to help me understand why she wasn't there when I was growing up, you know, like that's hard because she tried to be and I understand that now like I've seen it I've actually seen it in a trip where she's she wanted to be she just it wasn't like she was as a kid you don't understand that she's not making rational decisions mm-hmm. and the things that she's saying what, what place they're from you know do Adderall enough times and then like times that times you know 10 and then you thinking about how your decision making process will be you'll say all kinds of shit that you don't understand or believe mm-hmm. and do all kinds of crazy shit you know, it's it's a weird deal. So, especially with like a, a amphetamine addictions are so hard on families. It's wild, and alcoholism too. Mm-hmm. Those things are fucking brutal on families, and brutal on kids. And it's I feel like, I'm curious about that too because it's like it's so shamed, but it's so it's so in your face or in our faces. Like, what do kids think about that now? Well, I'll speak from what I can from my children. So their dad. Um, like a lot of addicts i wouldn't say that he's had one particular thing you know it started with weed and then it was alcohol and then it switched to um pain pain pills was like his so that's a rough one yeah and so i would say like that was that was the big challenge and um he's white knuckle sober now but that's all he can do. So maintaining a job is very challenging for him. Having any interaction with his kids is really challenging with him. And and so in some weird ways, he was more present in his career and his children's life when he was using. Mm. But in order for him to stay sober, like that has to be his main focus. And so all the other things kind of get pushed off to the side. Or when he's having an up or downswing um then he kind of just ghosts. And I think partially because he's just trying not to use or he's in that state where he wants to use and he knows he's maybe not a good influence on them. And so he's uh, in the picture at the moment, which we kind of find that found out <laughs> during a random conversation the other day where my son's like, oh yeah, so dad's taking me to school now. And we're like, what, excuse me, who? <laughs> he's where, <laughs> what's going on? So that was surprising. He kind of came out of the woodwork and I guess he's been texting in the last couple of weeks. And so the conversation with them is a lot of me trying to just understand like, okay, well, how does that feel? And are you mm. enjoying those conversations? How are those car rides? And And then also... Just reminding them that it's awesome that their dad is reaching out. And if at any point in time it doesn't feel good to them and they're not sure how to address it, just to let me know and I'll help them through that. And reminding them that it to enjoy it while it is right now, the connection time that they're getting right now, because it probably will change. Yeah. Because um, with him, it's very all or nothing. And so they're very they are like yeah yeah yeah. they know that like they're they get that now where in the past they would have been like fuck him like where has he been why does he suddenly get an opinion or why does he think he get to suddenly be in my life where now they're they're a lot more 
um, loving and just open to the idea of like, this is who he is. He's dealing with this illness his entire life and that he, I think they see how sad it makes him and how much he wishes he could be with them more and spend more time with them. But like, it's just not something he's capable of. Um, and, and I think part of that's been them both becoming more and more interested in psychology. And my mm. daughter took like advanced psych and, you know, they both have been going to therapists for years because of all of this. And they've learned so much from their therapist that I think they're able to kind of step back from that relationship a little bit and just take it for what it is and be like, okay, well, this is our relationship right now. And I'm going to enjoy that. And I'm not going to become overly attached to it because it's probably going to change again. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's a really rational way to look at it. It is. And I think they're doing really well for 15 and 19. Like, I think they're doing really well with it. But a year or two ago, they were like, especially my son was having a really hard time with it. And um, it's been a long process. So um, I don't know that it ever really changes. Like, I, I, I know that they don't judge him for it or they try not to judge him for it but i'm sure there's parts when they when they're in their 30s and they're gonna have another moment where they're like well fuck like how did <laughs> why did i get these cards dealt to me or whatever and i don't yeah, know you find gratitude for it yeah have yeah. you did you find yourself going through phases of that because you said that that was recent but like if you could remember back to being 19 was it a pretty big difference in the way you were handling her addictions uh, well, she wasn't, she was clean by then. Oh, okay. So it was, I started living with my grandparents when I was five mm-hmm. and then she got clean when I was like 16, consistently clean. And she's, she, yeah, she's, she's, she, she drinks now, but not, I mean, she's not, she's not an alcoholic now. Mm-hmm. She like drinks like a normal, like a normal human person. being, which is nice. Um, actually then it's not awkward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and she's always on, you know, and she's, she's hyper religious and she's just from a Christian world and that's, that's been really good, good for her. Um, and I started to respect her, respect that as something that for, there was a, there was one, me wanting to be right was a big part of the challenges too. Mm. So it went from, I was really loving with her in my, in my late teens. And then when I got outside of my hometown and sort of seeing other people's families, um, and the way that other people dealt with their, their moms, I got really resentful. Because I, I I realized at that point like how fucked our relationship actually was and what she had done was and it, and then I started to realize how much it affected me and how much I was having like abandonment issues and these things so I blamed all that on her, which wasn't really fair and then she wouldn't talk about it so then I resented her for not talking about it and that was like this really challenging thing and she would try to make up for it in ways that she could but that wasn't the way that I received love and understanding so it just was like this huge disconnect for so long um and we would get we were like we were like at each other's throats sometimes it was a really cha- like it was the most challenging thing and even when i got into any kind of mindfulness practice or spirituality it was like okay this is like my test you know and that was in my mid-20s i started i started viewing it as like how can i just how can i just, i don't want this to be an, an issue like that anymore it's not fair when my grandmother passed away that was her mom so that's actually brought us closer in a way, which I think that's really what she wanted. She would say that when she could still talk because ALS kind of robs you of all that stuff. But um, like being able to interact with people. Uh, but she said, she's like, I just want you and your mom to get along, which has mm-hmm. happened since then. Um, but it was because of both of us. It was. I feel like there was a lot of time in the 20s that I was really trying hard and she wasn't capable of understanding where I was coming from. And I wasn't capable of understanding where she was coming from. But I had changed a lot and she had it. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So I was the one that I was different and I was trying different ways to relate to her. And man, I was fucking, I was hard on her though. Cause I was smart. I was smarter than her. I was smarter than her by the time I was 21, mm-hmm. you know, in most ways, like intellectually. So I could just, I could intellectually belittle her and I did. And that was fucked up. And, and I try not to now, like, um, I try to talk to her about neuron patterning in the brain, right? Which to me is like super fundamental. And I can also use that to make her feel really stupid, but mm-hmm. I didn't want to make her feel stupid. I wanted her to understand why she maybe had a hard time doing something, mm-hmm. right? It's pretty easy. Like neurons that fire together, wire together. I've heard that a thousand times. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like trying to explain that and be like, number one rule, don't be condescending. She's trying. She lives in fucking Graham, Texas, dude. Like, what do you expect? Yeah. You know? Like, check your expectations and, and, and be understanding that she's she's doing the best she fucking can. And maybe that's not up to your standards, but maybe you need to fucking address the way that you're, like, you're seeing people. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that person does love you. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, with my dad being in prison and, and being raised by my grandparents and having, you know, my grandfather being my kind of, like, father figure. And my mom was kind of my aunt and my grandmother was my mom. You know, it's like I had this mm-hmm. weird kind of dynamic. So... It's gotten way better, but yeah, it took years and years, and it took a lot of work on my end because she sure, she wasn't going to change. And what really changed was her listening to the podcast, actually. Oh, when she just started listening to the realness, yeah. It's so therapy. did you when you would talk with her when you were in this active like I'm actively trying to change the way that mm-hmm. I'm patterned with her? Did you have little? thoughts in your head like little mantras or like what because it's so easy to say well yeah just don't be condescending or lead with love but like when you're in that moment and you're hearing these words that are triggering you and then you're noticing yourself being condescending like how did you have any little things to kind of help you reset or pull out um you know, I didn't actually. I, I kept. I tried. I tried several. Nothing. That, that was and mantras are so funny because mm-hmm. that's like that's something that I anchor in as a mantra. Mm-hmm. And I would use ones. I would use like lead lead with love and and she's doing the best she can. I would tell myself that like she's doing the best she can and mm-hmm. she could still find a way. Mm-hmm. She would find a way. And I was trying so damn hard. And, and it did take. It took her her opening up to me a little bit because what I wanted was to have a conversation with her about things that were really painful for her to talk about. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot to ask of somebody. It's a lot to ask them. When she has, what what helped me, and I guess if I had, this wasn't necessarily a mantra, but it was like a way of thinking, was that she, by me wanting to talk about that stuff, it's like me like flipping a, a nerve, right? It's like, hey, let's talk about this thing that you pretend doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And then I got frustrated with her for pretending that it didn't ever happen and that it didn't exist and that she was entitled to like my affection and my, respect even though she wouldn't couldn't have a conversation about challenging things because having conversations about challenging things is something I value about myself so now I'm projecting my values onto somebody who didn't ask for that Mm -hmm. and then measuring their worth by that projection which is super fucked up Mm -hmm. you know and um and when I started to understand it, it took me a lot of a lot of thinking and understanding myself and how I was projecting myself onto somebody and how it could be belittling and then and then really getting clear on on how painful the past must be for her to be that resistant to talking about it. And then I could be compassionate for it. Because I was like, what would I have to... Actually, Rob Wolf said this and it was about the president, right? It was like back in the day. It was funny. Uh, this is like pre-Trump era. But he said about speaking about the president, um, it's like, what would I have to know and believe to do the same thing that that person's doing? 
in, in, in terms of politics, but I apply that to my life all the time. It's like somebody's doing something, and you're like, oh, that's fucked up. And it's like, well, what would that person, Why? what would I have to think and believe and have experienced to express myself in that way? And when I started thinking about things in that, through that lens, I, I really got to understand how painful it was for her. Mm-hmm. I mean, fuck, she bailed on her kids over and over again, and she lied to us. And she took us around. So I saw my mom get beat up when I was like six. That shit's not cool. That's one of my earliest memories. And she knows that. I don't like, I don't want to rub her face in that really, but it's like, she knows that. That's, that's hard, man. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a fuck. I can't imagine, you know? And then she, and she's, you would never know now if you met her, right? So it's like, it, she has, she is a different person than she was, but she's not like, I, what, what really, uh, damn, I'm telling you guys some crazy stories of my life. Oh, got me in here. Dude, these long podcasts are good. Um, so what happened was she listened to the, to the podcast and this is what I always wanted this is what I always wanted was for her to be as grateful for her challenging past as I was grateful for mine Yeah, because I understood I intellectually and spiritually understood how beneficial that experience was for me she wasn't there obviously Christianity doesn't really support that Christianity can be good for some things but it's definitely not good at embracing your your shadow right (laughs) Um, and and I could see it in her life, how how much that challenge had affected the way that she was with other people, but she was really fucking hard on herself. Like, she was brutal with herself. So if I brought up something that was painful for her, she would just beat herself up about it. And I couldn't help it. I was like, I, I wanted to understand. You know, I, I'm trying to seek understanding. So um, when, uh, shit, where was I with that? No, she listened to the podcast, and I had a friend of mine on, Caitlin Howe. And the podcast was called Choose Yourself. And we started talking about how we recreate situations in our lives because we want to prove to ourselves that we're good enough to accomplish this thing that we failed at, right? Whether that's a relationship, a lot of times it's narcissism and codependency, a lot of times it's abuse that's repetitive with different people and you're the common denominator. It happens a lot. That was my mom. And whether that's addiction, the same thing. It's like you're just trying to prove to yourself that you have self-worth by overcoming the same fucking issue by calling it into your life over and over again and then maybe going a decade and then coming back to the same person expecting different results Mm -hmm. it's fucking insanity but it makes so much sense in the moment yeah and that's my mom and uh caitlin and i talked about this and she listened to this podcast on the way to my i um to come see me for my birthday and uh i remember she got out of the car to like say hi to me or whatever and this is like January last year. And she's like, oh, listen to the podcast with Caitlin. She's like, you should date her. She's amazing. <laughs> and I was like, no, mom, that's not really what me and Caitlin are just friends, you know. <laughs> and uh, she was like, she started telling me what she, what she realized about the podcast. We were in the car going to get brunch or something. And she was like, you know, I started to understand that, that she's a nurse. And she was like, the reason I could be so good at what I did and how I could be so present for people and care so much for people is because I know what it's like to be in a really tough spot and really regret how you got there and she was with home health mostly and and so she was dealing with people that were dying and a lot of people were unhealthy and by their own choices and she um finally got to a place where she was grateful for the life that she has now and grateful that she got there the way that she did through listening to a show that i created but the thing what it was she was listening to me say things to Caitlin that she couldn't hear me say to her directly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She had to overhear a conversation with me some with somebody else because then she could hear my intentions and understand that I wasn't trying to make her feel bad and I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to belittle her like a lot of men in her life have. And it was, man, that like I remember we had the best fucking day. And <laughs> I get out of the car and we had that, you know, we took the dogs to the park and we just had a great day. It's like a rainy day in Austin. 
and um, just hung out all day long. And then I remember going into my house after she dropped me off and just I was just crying. I was like walking up the stairs just bawling. And um, I called my stepdad because I, you know, they've been together for a decade, right? It's a long ass time. Just I needed to talk to somebody about this, you know, and no one was at my house. And I'm like in my room just bawling. And my mom calls me like 10 minutes later. She's crying, driving down the road. And it was the first time I ever remember in my life feeling like I had a mom. Aww. Like that was the first, I was at the moment where I was like, I feel like I have a mom now. And it just took that clearing. But it was, if I say like the podcast could have ended right then and I would have had, it would have meant the yeah. world to me. What episode is that? I feel like we need to. Um, it'll be on the relaunch. So, um, okay. It's called Choose Yourself with Caitlin Howe. I'll have okay. to look up the order. I think it's 12. Sweet. That's a, that's a lot of good information on my end. Uh, <laughs> Agreed. We, we, won't, we won't delve super deep into that world, unfortunately, right now. I think uh, timing-wise, I'm thinking we should wrap this up so we all don't right. get some more construction coming in here all of a sudden. <laughs> Dude, you us. guys almost got tears. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> <laughs> good. I'm really happy that you shared that. Yeah. I, I think that there's um, a lot of people that can relate to those feelings, whether or not you have an addict parent. It's Those are just... A lot of times an addiction is just self-medicating mm-hmm. other shit, right? And I think we can, even if you don't have an addict parent, you have a parent that's probably struggling with similar things. And then as you're coming up as an adult, when you're trying to express to your parent your thoughts, a lot of times it doesn't come across well and it's hard for them to hear it and to understand it. And sometimes they need to hear it through a different means like she did with the podcast. But I do want to give her credit on that because she had to be open to hear it. So even even if she had overheard someone else's podcast or mm-hmm. whatever, like she didn't have to choose to be open enough to go, oh, like I see myself in this and I, I, uh, I relate to this. And I, I think a lot of the challenge that uh, people in my life and in our life is, is that th- whether or not they're ready and open to hear the message. And it sounds like she was there and she was ready and, I just, I just try I to it. force the message down the throat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's my negative thing about me, and that's mm-hmm. kind of why I attempted to just wrap this up because I could mm-hmm. literally talk to you for hours, hours. just yeah. about my relationship with my mom and how so many of the things you just said resonate with me mm-hmm. entirely on my attempt to explain things to her. The, the difficult part is that like my mom is really, really, really fucking smart. Yeah. But in like with, without making labels or anything in, in, in a left field way, like an almost autistic way. Yeah. She like, she has synesthesia where she like sees colors with numbers and like has this like next level brain, but it's really hard to understand and it's really hard to ground her and bring her back mm-hmm. into communicate. this. And so I'm trying to communicate these, these complex thoughts to her and she just can't do them. And she just goes into a different world. Yeah. And like, I don't want to like, I'm at a point right now where I'm like not ready to air my dirty laundry (laughs) with my mom because like so much of it, like I'm still working on and I need to take those steps that you took to really Mm -hmm. convince myself. How do I lead with love and compassion and how do I have a conversation and check myself every time I say something to not belittle her for being wrong or not understanding my point of view. Yeah. And it's tough. I mean, that's that's really the hard thing is learning to understand how how she sees the world. But like step in her shoes. What shit has she been through? Mm-hmm. How does she see the world? And only then can I start to try to understand it. Because otherwise I'm just trying to put my lens on her and that just clouds her vision because she yeah. can't see anything through that lens. Yeah. 
I mean, think about that in the in the terms of the world, though. Like, we don't have to understand each other to love each other, yeah. you know? <laughs> we don't. It's not, it's, a bar- it's not a barrier to entry. To, to, like, I don't need to, I don't, yeah. I don't the harder thing is that the closer you get to someone, the harder it is. And so my little story is that, like, we were in the shop, and I was going to write a Facebook post about this, and I didn't. But this guy comes in to bring in apples, and the dude has a gold tooth, like, uh, a gold cross on his tooth. So like, I don't like, it was almost like he had a a grill, but the grill was like literally just a gold cross, like stuck to the front of his tooth. And he's bringing in cider. Super nice guy. I walk out to help him grab cider and he's driving an old beater truck that says in Trump we trust and has a bunch of anti-abortion stickers all over it. I'm like, whoa, all right. That's, that's not my worldview. I'm in the polar opposite of what you believe in this world. And he comes back in and like we continue to have a conversation. He's a, a wealth of knowledge. He's so nice and understanding. We're having this great conversation. He teaches me things about the industry that I'm super wanting to learn about with making cider and different fruits. And he's great. And we press his cider and he comes back and I talk to him a little bit more. He teaches me more information. Just such a sweet dude. And he tips me 20 bucks on the way out. And like, no one's ever tipped me for making cider. Like, that's just like part of what I do. But he was like showing this like in his way. And like, he's driving an old beater truck and he's like making some hard cider. It's not like this dude's some ballin' individual. He's just like, that's his way of expressing. But it was really interesting to, to see someone from such a different world than me that I'm still able to relate to and have a conversation with and lead with love. And we both got gleaned a lot from that information, mm-hmm. even though we have polar opposite understandings of how this world works. But there's something about this, like this proximity to mm-hmm. other people, that it's the people that are closest to us. That is the, we have the most tendency to do the hardest things to like your mom. She didn't intend to have these negative situations around you. She didn't intend to have a kid, bro. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. So it's like, but it's, it's those people that are so close to you that you can't help, but really. Yeah. And it's, it's that work. And that's where I think I, it's easy to tout psychedelics as like part of the way to like help you rechange your environment and how do you change the way you interact with the individuals closest to you. But again, that's just the research phase. It's actually doing the work, the the hard conversations that are what's really necessary. Mm-hmm. And the difficult thing for me is that I can't have those conversations because what yeah. I want to get done in five minutes takes an hour and suddenly we're in a totally different universe and i'm like no no no. i was talking about this like why yeah. can't we break this down yeah well that's the that, that thing one of the things that helped me a ton was getting okay with never having that conversation mm-hmm. it just and maybe it'll never happen and you get yeah. way more patient because <laughs> mm-hmm. you're like, I'm not guaranteed shit and i'm not entitled to, to her you know to that yeah. understanding and a lot of times i think it comes down to also thinking Maybe if they understood me, they would love me more or something. Mm-hmm. That's a weird. It doesn't make that intellectually doesn't make sense. It doesn't even sound right saying it. But well, I think it's like on, it's almost on the other side for me. Like yeah. maybe if I understood her, I would love her more, yeah. and I would be more loving towards her. Yeah, that's a, that's a piece of self awareness there too. But you got a little time. It's tough. <laughs> it's tough. You got plenty of time, yeah. and like I like that you just worded it that way. Like you're not entitled to any of it. Like mm-hmm. that's her life. That's her stuff. That's. 
you get the privilege to be in each other's lives and you get to decide how that's going to look. And And I'm privileged to have a mother that lives next door and I have her in my life and she's there and she doesn't have a drug addiction problem and she is a constant influence in my life and supports me in everything I do. Yeah. So it's, it's that privilege thing of like, it's, it's easy to look at the light when you're in the light, but like the the dark is some heavy stuff that needs to be sorted through. This isn't light enough. (laughs) We need more light. Uh, oh, well, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining of us, course, dude. dude. It was I a blast. This. Honestly, if there wasn't construction stuff that needed to be done outside, I'd say we could go for three and a half hours. <laughs> Do a three-parter all in one sitting. Yeah, dude. You have to bring in some snacks. Thank Seriously. you for being vulnerable yeah. and open and raw. Um, I really appreciate it. And you know what I love is that this started with like the superficiality of like, bro, I need to go work out more often. <laughs> bro. Yeah, the, the, the dichotomy is super fun. That's what I love. Yeah. About, that's what I love about my show too. Yeah. Nice. I love it. Well, yeah. Well, everyone go check out Connor's show as well and we'll post links to everything uh, in the description and whatnot. So any any last things you want to tell the people? I think we I think we told them enough. But I, if you you made it all the way through this podcast, I appreciate you listening yeah. to the whole thing. And thanks for uh, thanks for holding space for my vulnerability. Yeah. <laughs> all right, everyone. Bye. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Lift Podcast with Jordan and Antonella. If you like our show and want to find more, check out our website at gravitylift.space. And when you get a sec, please rate and review us on iTunes to help us spread these vibes far and wide.